What's up everybody, this is Elliot Terrell and you're listening to Magical Thinking, brought to you by artofmagic.com. Our guest for this episode is Mike Pashada. He was the Magic Castle's close-up magician of the year and is the current resident magician at the Magic Castle. He works the Hat and Hair Pub down in the basement. Mike is a Colorado native, but he moved to Los Angeles to become a member of the Magic Castle, and now he's the resident magician, which I think is awesome. He's got a ton of experience performing for all different sorts of people, celebrities, CEOs, his two children and his wife. In this episode, we talk a lot about performance and the energy that you have to have, the energy that the crowd gives you, how you exchange those energies to create a really magical experience. We talk about the character that you portray, staying present while you perform, and what makes good magic. I have to warn you, there's a weird cut at about an hour and 50-ish minutes into it. That's just because we had to stop recording for a moment but we get back into it. Also, the sound is muffled at some points. I've done my best to bring it up a little bit, but Mike can be pretty soft-spoken. This is a fun episode. It's very funny, and I highly encourage you to check out Mike's releases on artofmagic.com. He's got a great guaranteed prediction effect, and he's got a great uh, couple of coin routines called Silver Mint. So you can use coupon code Mike. MTP, all caps, Mike MTP, to get 20% off of your next purchase of Mike's material on artofmagic.com. If you aren't already, follow us on all the social media channels, of course, Instagram and Facebook.com slash Mystery, Instagram.com slash Treasury of Wonder. Don't forget to head over to Facebook and give this podcast a like at Facebook.com slash Magical Thinking Podcast. Join our newsletter get in touch with us, email me, podcast at artofmagic.com. Let me know what you think and maybe suggest some guests. Haven't heard from you in a while. I'd like to hear from you. Let me know. Drop me a line. I'm sure you guys are going to enjoy this episode. Mike is super cool. He's very funny. He did stand-up comedy a little bit. We talk about that for a moment. And I really think you're going to enjoy this episode. I certainly had a wonderful time recording it. All right, get into it. Let me know what you think. Take care. Yeah, right. It was like that never ever happens to me, but I was like, oh, yeah, like it's every day. To <laughs> I'm just <laughs> you guys. Do you want a cup of coffee? Uh, no, I'm okay. Okay. Would you mind sitting? Oh, uh, sure. Are you guys ready to go? Yeah. What's this? What's this? That's the microphone you got covered up. Covered up for several reasons. One of which <coughs> is that people forget it's there if it's covered up. Uh, Which is nice, yeah. Angle it a little bit. I just, I uh, recorded with Homer in Vegas, and he spent a good half hour setting up the room with, like, cloths and stuff. Oh, really? And then we recorded the episode, and it was on the wrong setting, and so, like, you can barely hear it. Oh, no. So, he... That's a long thing. I know it was like sorry. two and a half hours, and he was like, "Well, he, he was like, can I can I edit the episode?" And I was like, "Yeah, of course." And so he, he sent me this email, and it's like, you know, I spent twenty six hours <laughs> editing. <laughs> I finally got it so that it sounds okay. Wow, and it's a good thing he knows how to do that, I guess. Yeah, seriously. Um, but huh. I made sure it was on the right. Well, side. I see that a lot of your podcasts are two to three hours long, and I don't know that anyone. To hear me talk for that long, but we'll that's fine. There's no pressure. I, I don't want to hear me talk for three hours. <laughs> that's I okay. Couldn't imagine. No, that's fine. Um, <laughs> it'll be easy. We'll just let it go until it's done going. Okay. And then 
it's over. Okay. It's that easy. <coughs> Excuse me. No, it's okay. 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 <laughs> you want to start? Oh, yeah. We've been recording. Oh, we've... Oh. <laughs> I, I always love that moment. I see how you do <laughs> Like, oh, I'm going to get my, my podcast face on here for a second. But okay, we're going. <laughs> How's it going? Uh, it's going uh, very well. Um, you know, uh, I'm excited to be doing this, first mm-hmm. of all. Again, I don't know that anyone wants to hear me talk <laughs> about magic for three hours, but I'm happy to talk about things that I I know and, you know, I have approaches that I know work for me, but I don't know that anything that I do necessarily works for anyone else. But I sure. think that's kind of part of the goal, right, is finding what works for you. And oh, definitely. And then, like, things that you don't even think people would be able to use are what end up being the most inspiring or most empowering things that they hear. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, maybe not all the time, but I have found that to be true. Um, I, I just did this thing this weekend where uh, it's called the Landmark Forum, and it involves a lot of like sharing very personal stories about yourself. And it was really interesting to hear all these different people from all these different walks of life talk about their stories basically and uh and how how much like even though this person's experience is crazy it's basically a room full of universal truths you know and so like even though you can't necessarily relate to the things that happened to that person you definitely relate to how they feel and then how they work through it and things like that so right yeah that's cool so i find that that's true in magic as well you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> I believe that. I think that you know, there's a lot of shared experiences, and especially if you get into the emotional, uh, how people feel. Yeah. Then, yeah, um, and magic in general, I think, elicits certain uh, emotions inherently elicits an emotional response from people. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Good magic. Yeah. So anyway, I guess there's tricks that don't do that. You just there's people who just do tricks. Mm-hmm. You know, and it doesn't, I, but magic, when you're doing magic, then you elicit an emotional response. I think that's part of it. Yeah. How do you know, like when you're trying to come up with a trick or you're creating a routine or something, how do you know when it's good? Like, what's the moment where you're like, that'll be good. <laughs> that'll be good. Well, you know, there's, I, I fool myself with that often. Uh-huh. Um, meaning I... Well, now I have enough experience performing that I feel like I have a pretty good gauge of what's going to work before I take it into a live audience. And before I take something to a live audience, I I tend to work it out, you know, to a point where I'm not embarrassed to show this to anybody. (laughs) But I have certain qualifications I do because of how often I work and where I work is Mm -hmm. a little bit different than uh, a lot of magicians. I, I... Oftentimes. Yeah, for the, for the people that don't know, you're sort of the resident magician at the Magic Castle in New right. York. The, what is that bar called? The Hat and Hair. The Hat and Hair Bar. Yeah. So that is a blessing, of course, but there's also some negatives to that. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the biggest positives to it is also one of the negatives to it, and that is this is a natural place where uh, people come to see magic. Yes. And there's not too many places in the world where that's the case. Yeah. People came here to see magic. It's like going to a comedy club to see comedy. Yeah. Versus you go to a bowling alley or a bar and now there's an open mic in there and there's some comedians. Yeah. 
and I know this from my years of doing stand-up comedy. Oh, I'm going to write that down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can you can do the exact same thing in that bowling alley, and it's never going to get the response it's going to get in the comedy store. Yes. And that's because those people didn't come here to see comedy. They came yeah. here to bowl. Yeah. <laughs> <Or they came laughs> and fuck you forever for and interrupting my bowling time. Exactly. And it's... <laughs> <laughs> so the Magic Castle is one of the few places uh, where you can find a natural audience. Somebody yep. who came here to see magic. They're primed for it. They're primed for it. They're yeah. looking for it. Yeah. Now, that's a wonderful thing. Um, except <laughs> when you're the resident magician. <laughs> because it also can uh, give you a false sense of, of what's good. Sure. And then when I take those things out into the world in private events... I'm not getting the response I was getting, mm-hmm. you know, when I'm doing it at the bar. Sure. So it took me a while to be able to to realize what was happening mm-hmm. and why that is, and yeah. and then how to gauge that material. But you know, when I know something is good is when I've done it in front of an audience hundreds of times, and yeah. then I finally go, all right, that's okay. <laughs> like I have a new routine I've been working on, and I've been now a couple months, like really putting it out there and and when I start something like that I'll look around you know I do six to ten shows a night on Mm -hmm. average at the bar and so I when I'm breaking in material I'll look around if I don't see any magician members I don't see any faces I recognize you know no celebrities in the audience and it's like okay I'm gonna pull this out yeah and also before every single show I ask uh you know who here has seen me before and if there's nobody there that's seen me before well, now I have uh, free reign because they're not expecting anything. I'm yeah. a bartender. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what I am. I'm a magic bartender. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But to them, I'm just a bartender. Mm-hmm. And once I get groups that keep seeing me or, you know, I get people that come every single weekend or they bring their guests every weekend or, you know, then they'll talk me up to their guests and then it's a lot of pressure. And You've so got to perform. I'm right. Really it's hard like, to yeah. throw out new material. Uh, and not be good when I just heard this guy, you know, build this guy's me the up. Best this is castle. Right. Yeah. You got to see this. You got to see this. And now it's mm-hmm. like, well, I don't want to do that new piece because yeah. it's it's a high likelihood that it won't be good or it might fail or it might. Sure. Um, so I get that. I get to ask around, and then if it's nobody's seen me before or nobody knows, sometimes you know, I'll just have a group kind of gathering in the bar. I'm like, you guys ready for magic? And they'll be like, you do magic? And then I'm like, okay, uh, kind of. <laughs> and now I just I can do, try. <laughs> I can try. I do a little or I play around and yeah. then I just, now I'll do anything. Yeah. Because it's free reign and they're not expecting anything yeah. from me. But if they come down, they go, oh, this guy, he's the closest magician of the year. You have to see this. This is, uh, then it's, I can't do that new uh, material. Yeah. Thing. Well, it helps too that you're like so nonchalant and like kind of a low key guy. Like yeah. even as a performer, it's very like, this is just happening here. <laughs> it's like, and then you just like sock people with super powerful magic. Oh, thanks. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, the bar became a really good teacher mm-hmm. on how to how to do effects. I I realized early on there that it's very likely that I'm going to be interrupted or I'm going to have to stop so I, I every trick has to be a closer yeah because I don't know when I'm going to set that tip jar in front of you okay and I'm not going to end on some filler yeah that yeah, yeah. that's not going to get me your money and 
So every trick had to become a closer for me or, or capable of closing my show. Yeah. And so I try to structure it like that. And then I just realized, why don't I structure all my, well, why have filler? Yeah. And there are certain things like there, obviously when you're structuring a routine, there's certain things when, you know, I could put in and say, well, I need the cards to be in this order. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I can do this thing and get into that order and it's not a super strong trick, but then that to me would become a phase, a mm-hmm. phase of something greater sure, sure. to come, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't have a lot of that anymore. I don't, does it, I, but I do obviously try to make them organic and, and you end up in that situation, but that's not, um, a, a spot I'm usually stuck in with, with mediocre tricks just so I can get into something else. Yeah. Especially at the bar because, uh, well, it's a bar and so deck <laughs> switches and things like that become, it's no problem at all. Yeah. I look in the back of the room and go, hi guys, you need something to drink? And now I've just switched the deck. And, yeah, yeah. You know, you just spent five minutes shuffling it. In the, in the real world, obviously that's not quite that You don't easy. have that luxury, yeah. Right. I have this big thing in between us. Yeah. Um, which is also, see, that's one of, like I said, it's good and bad mm-hmm. at the bar, right? Because if I have this bar in between me, it seems like the most logical place in the world to do close-up magic. You're already facing me. It's already conversational. You're already looking for a good time. That's why you're sitting at a bar, right? Or you're sad. Either way. <laughs> either way, you need magic. Either way, you need something. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the bar seems like a really logical place to do close-up magic, and, mm-hmm. and it offers a lot of advantages on, on hiding things. And Yeah. How often do you go out outside the bar and perform at events or gigs or whatever? Um... I'm fairly often. I, I that's the goal. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that the private shows is where money is. Yeah. Well, I would imagine you would get pretty consistent work from the castle, right? I do. Uh, I get I get both. Uh, I get good and bad options for that too. Sometimes mm. people see me at the bar and they go, "That guy's a bartender." Mm. And so I'll get a call for a show and they'll be like, "Yeah, it's two hundred dollars, and can you bartend too?" And it's <laughs> like, no. <laughs> I don't uh, think you understand. I don't think you understand what I do, uh, or or just that you know, sure. oh, it's three hundred bucks. I'd be it's the bartender, and then on the opposite end of that, I get to do a lot of shows for really cool people. I get to do. I've done a lot of celebrity shows, mm-hmm. and, uh, not just at the castle, which I get regularly. Sure, um, I'm in a great spot at the castle, and they like me enough now that when celebrities are in the club, which is very often, yeah. Uh, they'll just come close up the bar and I'll do private shows for him. I just did a show for Sean Penn this weekend and this was the third show I've done for him. And, wow. Um, but I also, I've gone uh, for private shows for him. And, uh, so I get things like that a lot. I, yeah, I, yeah. I get contacts that I would never otherwise get. Yeah. Uh, and I get an opportunity mm-hmm. with that that I, I, a lot of people don't have and it's just because I happen to be in Hollywood at the place where that's you know likely to, yeah. to happen they're going to come in and they do every week somebody's yeah. there and I've booked a lot of those shows because of that so it's hit or it's hit or miss though for sure it's, it's either <laughs> I that. that I either get like a $200 show or you know a really nice high-end show that's so funny <laughs> you get both I get both that's it and I and you know, every once in a while, I'll book a wedding or something. <laughs> People see me, and but I've had, I certainly it's been it's been great for that. I've flown, you know, I've been to Japan. I've been all over the world, all because of that bar and all of because of 
people who've seen me there. Well, how did you get That's behind up. that bar? Uh, not an easy thing. Um, that bar has not, there has not been a resident magician like that, a resident bar magician at the castle for probably around 30 years. Uh, Bob Jardine was the last. Jim Patton was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I first started coming into the castle, which was about 2003, something like that, 2003, that's uh, okay. when I moved to Los Angeles. And uh, Jim Patton was a bartender there and a regular, and man, that guy is incredible. Um, and I, he would be at the Hat and Hair. I, I remember they made the Hat and Hair this high-end whiskey bar, and that's where Jim was. And mm-hmm. I'd go down there and just spend time with him and watch him do magic. But when the guests came in, he would put the magic away. Really? Yeah. And every once in a while, he would do a thing. He would do something for him. Mm-hmm. One trick. Um, and that's at least that's how it was when I saw him. Sure. And, and when the boys were around, that's what he liked and he liked talking to magicians and he liked telling you stories about Vernon and Charlie Miller and he liked to do stuff and he was great yeah. he was awesome um, but I, I never saw him more than one trick or try to really rock out a show for uh, for a lay audience or a group at the bar um, but before him Bob Jardine was there and uh, he was the last and so when I came I moved to the to Los Angeles just to be a member of mm-hmm. the castle, not to work there. Sure. Um, I just wanted to to be there. I had come up uh, the year before to visit uh, Jason England, who had moved um, up north. He was in San Luis Obispo, and he joined the castle and was coming in. And so I came to visit him, and he brought me in for the first time. And I just thought, well, this is it. You know, I'd heard about the castle for years, and then he saw this is it. You this made is, the pilgrimage. This was it. And I, at that time, I was engaged and I owned a business. I was a real estate appraiser. I owned a house. I, you know, I was starting a life in Colorado and I was miserable. I hated my job. Yeah. I owned it. I hate, but I just hated it. Yeah. I didn't like what I did. Uh, and uh, Derek Delgadio uh, was uh, living with me at the time in Colorado and he was, we were doing community theater things a lot in Colorado and yeah. involved in these different uh, various community theaters uh, groups. And he just fell in love with that, with acting. And he wanted to act. And so he, he found a school out here, the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. And so he was going to come out here. And I had just visited Jason and I said, I'm going to go there too. And so we drove out here together. And, I was in 2003, and it really was my, I picked this place because of the castle. Yeah. And uh, I thought, well, I sold my business and my house, and I thought, well, I'm going to go be a professional magician in Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, which I didn't realize how difficult of a move that could be. Uh, <laughs> sure. How many guys came out here to do that um, because of the castle also. Yeah. So, again, you take the good and you take the bad. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it draws a lot of competition. Yeah. And anyway, I ended up in a series of regular jobs while I was uh, working on that. And it's basically, it sounds like the basic come to Los Angeles to do some sort of show business. Yeah. Or... <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think I, I, I in my head, it was going to be a lot easier than it was. Yeah. Certainly the process of it. Um, sure. And then... What uh, were some of those struggles? I mean, what... Well, I remember literally not eating for three or four days. And oh when I gosh. would eat, it would be a 
bean burrito from Taco Bell. You know, like I had nothing at times. Wow. Um, and but that's it, man. That's that's what you have to do sometimes. <laughs> yeah. you know? uh, if I always remember this Bukowski quote, and you say, "If you're going to try, go all the way. Otherwise, don't even start." And no matter what that means, he goes on to list that could mean derision or uh, jail or you know loss of friends and love and yeah. uh, starvation and isolation and uh, that's that's what it takes maybe and not for everybody some people come out here certainly I've seen people come out here and they are you know the family money or whatever and then there's no real struggle yeah. for them but maybe the struggle is what's important sure. I think so. You get to grow as a person and for really... Sure, for sure. And also, I'm not a very materialistic person, so that type of... Uh, that never really bothered me, not having, like, the nicest car or anything. Sure. Uh, which, well... Uh, <laughs> you know. But it, I didn't until I had kids, and then... Then I had to start trying for for different reasons. Like, sure. It's more than me. I, I have to feed them. I have to take care of them. I want him. I want them to have the toys they want to have. I want them to have that. No, that means I better be better. Yeah. I have to be better. I have to do better things than what I would do on my yeah. own. Um, but once I was here um, and trying to do magic and I joined the castle and I, I just spent every night there and I would hang out there. And after a couple of years... Um, of that struggle, I hit the low, and then I wasn't doing what I wanted to do anymore, and I wasn't even trying to do magic anymore. I yeah. mean, I would practice and stuff, but and then I quit, and I just gave up magic, and I went into stand-up comedy, mm-hmm. and I did that for years, okay. um, which is the best thing I ever did for magic. Yeah? Oh, I want to know all about that. <laughs> all right, well... Well, so we'll get back to getting behind the bar eventually, but I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. let's, let's so go ahead we'll and do stand-up. Stories. Well, uh, I just, I went through, uh, I, that's something I always wanted to do. Yeah. Um, I, I just have always admired stand-up comedians mm-hmm. and, um, that was always, you know, magic isn't about showing tricks. Magic, like any art is about communicating a vision or a message yes and it's only when you realize that that you're, that you're doing magic and not tricks mm-hmm. well comedy seemed to me um just uh cutting out the middleman right i don't need yeah, to yeah. tell you i can just tell you what i want to tell you i don't need to go about it in this you know uh off hand way I, I metaphorical don't have, yeah, hypothetical way right. of the trick to and, make yeah. him oh yeah i feel this thing based yeah. off what he did but i just tell you mm-hmm. now yeah and uh i mean for me the guys uh, uh you know, bill hicks and george carlin those sure. were my preachers those yeah. are the guys that i you know i'm not a religious fellow but uh those were the guys that i listened to those that was my church yeah and um really shaped uh shaped a lot of uh my thinking uh, mm-hmm. from an early age too and um put ideas in my head that weren't there before and yeah uh, did uh, that there I, I can't imagine they didn't shape your comedic approach oh, too. oh yeah for sure <clears throat> for sure um what was and, that like because i know that like i i 
I've never done stand-up, but I, I've listened to stand-ups talk about doing comedy and talking about those early years where they're struggling as a, as a stand-up. Yeah, that's hard. And, but, like, you know, the, you have to try on your influences. So what's it like going up, not really necessarily being a comedian or a comic, and then, like, being influenced by Bill Hicks and Carlin? And yeah, that? well, at first I tried to be Bill Hicks. Yeah. I tried real hard to be Bill Hicks. Yeah. And uh, I wasn't alone. <laughs> no, I'm sure. <laughs> As it turns out in comedy, a lot of guys are trying to be Bill Hicks. Mm -hmm. um, and that took me a while to start to find a voice there, too. And I, now I didn't I, make it as a comedian. Um, and I got to the point where I was doing some decent places. I've done, you know, Comedy Store and Ice House and Laugh Factory and uh, improv. And, yeah. You know, uh, I, when you do comedy, the first step is uh, open mics. Mm hmm. Well, in Los Angeles is a good place to do comedy. You know, you either want to really be in New York or Los Angeles, any big city, I guess. But those are the two with all the comedy clubs. Yeah. And those are the two that have all the open mics. But what that means is you sign up for an open mic and some of them are three minutes, some of them are five minutes spots. And you have to sit there through, you know. Two and a half hours of shitty Two and a half hours of shitty comics yeah. all working on their first five minutes. Mm -hmm. um, just to get up there and do it. And then when you get up there and do it, they're not listening to you because they're yeah. working on their five minutes or waiting just for their turn. They're just there for their turn. And yeah. so no one's listening to you. So then you have to get in your car and then you got to drive across town to try to get another three minutes somewhere else. And mm -hmm. so the goal was to get up in two or three places a night. And uh, I had a buddy uh, that was doing it with me named Jason Gagne and a real funny guy. And so we would just do that and take turns finding these open mics and driving each other and just, you know, supporting each other and kind of pushing each other to yeah. do this. And, and that's it. You got to, it's two to three minutes on these open mics. And then once you start doing well with those, um, the people who set up those open mics will usually also set up what they call bringer shows, mm -hmm. right? So you got to pre-buy some tickets or you got to do this. And you gotta, I got to guarantee that 10 of my friends are going to come. Yeah to see the show and I can get a spot in the belly room at the comedy store. Okay. And so it's became a lot of that you got pre-buy tickets or, sure. and then, it, you know, that's hard because you're getting time and you're in a cool place, but I only have so many friends that are going to come see this all the time. Yeah. And so now also, and, and they did have people that would come and, you know, to a point, <laughs> but I all, I always felt like I had to have new material. Mm -hmm. I had to be constantly fresh for you because you just saw me last week do this at the ice house. And yeah, I, so you can't craft an act like that. That's not how it works. Yeah. You know, you, you need to be able to do that time over and over and over because it's just the one word you change. Mm -hmm. You drop that one word, you have an extra pause and that's all of a sudden what's giving you the laugh. Yeah. So with comedies, it's, to craft that act takes time and it's very hard in that type of situation in these bringer shows to do that. And then I was starting to get out of those a little bit where I'm actually like, they'd give me 10, 15 bucks just to do a set. <laughs> and pay me. Um, but it was back and forth to those bringer shows and that. And, yeah. Uh, the very last show I ever did was, uh, was one of those and, um, two people showed up mm -hmm. and I was supposed to bring eight. And it was Derek Delgadio and Katie, who's now my wife. And uh, I got off the stage and the guy who set up the event said, Mike, you blew the roof off. You were the best of the night. But I can't give you that DVD because you didn't bring enough people. 
and I just said, I'm done with this. Yeah. I'm going back to magic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it like, I mean, magic was always a love for me. It sure, just, of course. Like, really, comedy is a hard life, and that's a hard world. Yeah. And then I realized, well, if I, you know, I'm going to get married or I'm going to have kids, then, you know, the, the life of a struggling comedian is much harder than the life of a magician. I can, you know, as a magician, I can go out and do a show for, you know, one night and make yeah. a couple thousand dollars versus yeah. uh, $15 a set. And then I got to share a room with nine guys <laughs> and travel on the next day, you know, yeah, with all yeah. these guys. And it's a hard uh, it's a hard life for sure. Um, but And I never tra- really traveled. I never got out of L.A. doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I learned a lot of lessons doing it in the, yeah. in the year, few years that I devoted to it um i certainly got more comfortable in magic because now i can be in front of an audience with nothing yeah so if you had me a deck of cards then that's just oh that's crazy right so i i am comfortable now Mm -hmm. in front of an audience and it took that because that was another part of magic that was always hard for me was uh i didn't like performing Mm -hmm. i liked practicing sure I think that could be said of a lot of people. Oh, well, it is, but you know, that's all wretched no vomit. Yeah. That's not a way to live life. That's, that's <laughs> what do you, you need to vomit. You gotta vomit. It's all wretched no vomit. It's uh you have to you have to take that to the next level. And that's the that's what magic is it's a gift and it has to be experienced and it has to be shared. Mm-hmm. But anyway, comedy taught me that and it also taught me other things. It taught me about audiences and it taught me about energy more than anything. Ah, oh, that's so important. There, no, no, no magician that's trying to be good knows how to read an audience. Right. You have to be able to do that right. before you can be a good magician. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, it's, you hear, oh, there's no bad audiences. Well, that's not true. Sometimes <laughs> there are bad audiences, um, but even like that, you can usually turn them. Yeah. Um, but that's not always the case, yeah. and sometimes it's frustrating, and sometimes, I mean. Something that gets a great reaction, just people are sitting there with their arms crossed and staring at you, mm-hmm. and you feel nothing from it. And I've seen this happen to my heroes. I, you know, it's not just me that happens. Sure. Some yeah. audiences are like that. And now I'm to a point, I do six to ten shows a night. Yeah. So four nights a week. I do a decent amount of magic every yeah, week. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'd say fair average is I do 30 shows a week. And, uh, at least 25 shows a week, I think would be fair to say. Sure, but sure. often more than that. So, um, the, the, there really are bad audiences that happens. <laughs> um, but well, you're if, right. they're willing, if they're willing to give you anything, mm-hmm. if they're willing to give you their energy, yeah. then that energy can be manipulated and controlled without them knowing it. Yeah. Um, how do you do that? What are some of the ways you do that? And I also want to know how you turn a bad audience into an audience. <laughs> uh, well, one is you have to touch them. You know, two is you have to involve them. Mm-hmm. You have to get them connected to it somehow. They have to literally uh, open up so, their body language. Right. So, and if that means that you have to get off of your script, mm-hmm. get off of things to engage a human being, yeah. uh, then that's what you need to do. 
I see that a lot too. See these uh, somebody doing something, and so an audience member says something, and, and they don't know how to get off of their their thing, so they either let it go or they ignore it or that. And the audience can read that yeah. from a mile away. They know that now you can't get off that script. He's, this is what he says. Yeah. Right. And then it's that's the sign of a weak performer. You gotta. You have to be able to engage. This is a dance. And you have to be in the moment. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I guess that's probably the that's the goal life mm-hmm. um, <laughs> to be here and yeah. to be present yeah, yeah and performing does that for me and mm-hmm. it helps me with that and if you can engage in the moment engage a human being and be in the moment be real and if you make a mistake you acknowledge it if you say something weird you know something comes out you acknowledge it and yeah if they say something you have to acknowledge if somebody's sneezing during your show you need to acknowledge that mm-hmm. you need to stop and bless you or whatever you yeah, know yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know because everyone's aware of this situation yes, yeah. and now now you're not having a demonstration now you're having an event you're having a they're in on it with you yeah an experience an experience yeah but how to control their energy well um how do you do that at, at the bar because okay, well, people I'm are doing drinking. a trick and maybe they're not fully uh, committed here's a you know a routine I get asked uh, uh, for, well, I do this this time travel routine, mm-hmm. um, and the it's really just I, it's three different tricks that aren't mine all put together as one routine. It's uh, Roy Walton's Back in Time, mm-hmm. which is the same as Steve Freeman's Time Machine, basically. Yeah, and then I do a color change for the second phase, and then the third phase is this Marlowe prediction trick. Okay. I got all these cards in my pocket, so. Mm-hmm. I have a card selected, I make a big deal of it, very openly selected, face up, I make a big deal of how fair that was, I make them repeat that numerous times, mm-hmm. and then we go through this thing, and then at the end I have, you know, I, I say, I knew you were going to to choose that card, remember what a free choice, I asked you four times, yes it was a free choice, but look, I had a vision this morning, I saw in my mind, a vision of you taking that card from face up deck. And at first I ignored it because I thought, well, this is just a memory. This mm-hmm. is what I do. And then it happened again. And then it happened again. And then it happened again and again and again. And then it happened again one more time. Oh, and then again. And I got up and I took a card from a different deck, a blue back deck. I've been carrying it with me all day, that one card, because I wasn't sure for when I would meet you. And I brought it and then they get this huge buildup and I reach into my pocket for the card and as it comes out, they see I have other cards in my pocket. Two or three other cards come up with it and fall mm-hmm. back into the pocket. Everybody thinks they got you and then you take them all out. They're all duplicates. Yeah. And Why this works, I mean, those are all three strong things. The second phase is a visual color change, um, which could be any visual color change there. Um, but the the I structured it this way for a reason and it's a you know they say things come in threes because it, the good things you set up in threes and I, I couldn't agree more with that and mm-hmm. that's you know, that was one of the main rules of comedy right it takes two times to, is a repetition now they can see the pattern and then the third time you turn the pattern on its head and uh, they don't know they didn't see that coming that surprise right? that's the, laugh. the surprise and that's the laugh or but that's also the amazement, mm-hmm. right? So routines are best in my uh, in my mind. Magic routines are best structured in threes. Also, I don't do a four coin coin across. I do a three coin coin across. I do everything tends to be better in threes, sure. at least for me. Okay. Um, and I, again, that's not just me. That's a <laughs> common <laughs> thing. Well, 
I don't let those three phases sit like that though. I, I do, I'll show you the first phase, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the time machine or the yes. Roy Walton trick. And it's an amazing trick. I, for many years, it was my favorite trick and it stood on its own. And now when the audience starts to react to that, I stop them from reacting to that. And I don't allow them to get out that energy. So they start to react to that. And I say, well, sometimes though people say, uh, if I could see that happen. And so now I do the second phase face up. And as they start to react to that, I stop them again. And I Mm -hmm. go into the third phase. And what I'm doing is I'm bottling up their energy. I'm not allowing it to get out. This is George Carlin was a master of this. He'd talk about, he'd do this build up for a joke and he'd say the punchline. And as people start to laugh, he starts talking and they don't want to miss it. So they all stop. Yeah. And they're listening. And now he says another punchline. They start to laugh and he starts again and he won't let that laugh come out. And then you use your body language to say, I'm done finally on the third one. He builds it up. Now another punchline, the microphone drops, the hands drop, place goes wild. Yeah. And it's not because that last joke was that funny. It's because you've built up the energy yeah. and you, you keep capping it and you don't let it out. You're shaking up the bottle and you put the cork back in You shake it up. And, it's edging. And it's, it's edging. edging. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yes, that's what it is. Though that's what it is. It is edging. Yeah, and they're not aware of that. Mm -hmm. They just want to hear you. Yeah, Uh, but it's something that you can feel. And not only that, when you start doing it, and you actually start getting that, uh, you you they can feel it. The whole room can feel it. Mm -hmm. And then you start. You now you're in sync. And once everybody is on a. (laughs) on the same wave energy is yeah. like a wave right? yeah and yeah yeah surf it. and these are all the cliches <laughs> uh, but for a reason sure maybe yeah. they're cliches for a reason but you really can ride that energy <clears throat> wave and, and manipulate it um and and that's how i do it my the, the devil makes through that coin routine yeah uh, is the routine i'm known for and people ask for and the entire routine is structured that way i do uh you know two coins in my left hand and one coin jumps to the right hand. And as they start to react, I tell them they're wrong to react. Mm -hmm. I say, Oh, but you couldn't see it happen. Well, I'll do it visibly for you. And now I do it visibly and the coin visibly jumps from one hand to another. And it's amazing. And as Mm -hmm. they start to react, I say, it's just a trick. I use an extra coin and now they don't know how to feel. Yeah. You've amazed them. them. And then I told them it wasn't good. Yeah. And so I did it better. Yeah. And now as they're really starting to react to that, it's just a trick. You're stupid for feeling. I mean, I don't say that to them, yeah, yeah, yeah. but that's how I want you to feel. Yeah. You're stupid for being amazed by that because this is just a trick. Yeah. I'll tell you how I do it. I use an extra coin and they're all, oh, wow, he's actually telling us something. And now I say, oh, but it's right here. It floats here invisibly until I need it. And then it becomes visible. And then they're, now, now they're on a roller coaster because they're like, oh, he told us something that we didn't expect to hear. They used yeah. an extra coin. He told us a secret. Oh, it's clearly bullshit. Mm-hmm. And now I show them it's not bullshit. Here's an invisible coin that just became <laughs> real right in front of your eyes. And then I go in this whole thing and now they don't know where to go with this. Yeah. So you're amazed. No, you shouldn't be. You're amazed. No, you shouldn't be. Let me tell you why. And now I go into this thing. So when I finally get to the end of this routine, that energy has nowhere to go but out. They mm-hmm. have to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I structure my routines with that in mind, with that energy in mind. So that all all my 
No, well, I try to, I try to think <laughs> about that yeah. when I'm putting together the routines. That's your, that's I design like my routines influence. around. Yeah. yeah, I design my routines around that type of thought. Okay. Thinking. Yeah. And then, so how, so you were talking about, you know, your show is closers, basically. Uh How do you then link those separate items together to form a cohesive whole? Um, I I like, I have, I have sets. I have, Mm. these are the sets I do at the bar, but then I like to mix and match things because I get bored. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you do it six, ten times a night. I want something in every set that's uh, a bit of a challenge or something I'm working on. But like I said, if it's a room full of uh, <laughs> people, I, I can't mess this up. Yeah. Then um, it's I I have these tried and true pieces that I know. Yeah. You know, and if I take anything out, it's always the one that people want to see. You know, if it is that, <laughs> I I don't do the chopped cup with the lemons. And yeah. That's the one they'll say, where's the lemons? So yeah, if yeah, I yeah. do that, I don't do the coins. So where's the coins? And, you know, I get that too. That's but... the plague of having great material. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I guess. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I, I do the same thing. It's like, I'll take somebody down to the bar to see you and I'm like, oh my God, this guy's fucking great. I love well, watching him work. It. And it's like, oh no. <laughs> I don't say do that thing. to them because right. they don't know any better, but I'm just like, oh, I wish you'd done the trick. <laughs> or sometimes people come up too then they've seen me and this isn't, not usually the members or magician members, but I get guests that repeat too. And mm-hmm. People remember, and then they'll come in with their whole group, and they'll be like, "Oh, we talked about you the whole way here. Can you show them the lemons?" Uh, and they just ruin. The no, I can't. The now I can't do that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, like, it's no good now yeah. because now I'm doing a trick where you're waiting to see a lemon. Yeah, and you're gonna you're gonna see the lemon before I want you to see the lemon now. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a surprise. You should have like a. Uh, like a like a, a middle finger fist that you load instead of a lemon <laughs> for when that happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's funny. Yeah, uh, I get that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's so yeah. funny, like that that people are that they can't conceptualize. Like if I tell them what the punchline of the joke is, and then I try to get somebody to tell them the joke, right. it's a waste. Right, it's <laughs> I a waste. have ruined that whole experience. <laughs> right, it's so funny. Yeah. Uh, and magic is certainly like that. I mean, yeah, that's a surprise. That's yeah. what it is. Well, I think that's probably a weakness of, and I'm not talking about the lemons because that's like an immediately perceptible, you know, thing to describe the trick. But like a lot of tricks, you can't describe the effect well, without ruining right. the thing. Oh, can you do the card and napkin? Well, <laughs> I don't want to now. <laughs> right. That's a great trick. Yeah, that is a great trick. Um, not mine. I mean, it, it, that routine is mine, and the sure. handling of that is mine. But yeah, that yeah. idea is Chris Corn's. Yeah, and uh, like a lot of Chris Corn things, it's just smart, and, uh, good. It's yeah. a trick I get a lot of mileage out of. I'm sure I've done it thousands of more times than Chris Corn does, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is uh, he loves it. By the way, he loves that routine. So. That's great. I'm a, I'm a Chris Corn fan. I like his ideas, and, and that was one of my favorites. And when I started doing that bar, there were two tricks I had in mind, and that was one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's perfect. That's been there since the beginning. Yeah. And then the other one was his trick called uh, uh, Shake, Shuffle, and Twist. Um, What's that? It's uh, a trick by Steve Bedwell. 
with uh, an ultra mental deck and a shaker. Okay. Uh, and so you have you sh you show all the cards or like a triangle mm -hmm. face up and face down, and you put the cards in a shaker and you shake them and have anybody name a card. And then when you take them out, now that's the only reversed card in the deck. They've all straightened down. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had some issues with that going uh, when I started the bar. And, and it was a great trick for a one-time performance or something like that. But I was having a hard time with the Ultimental deck and the Shaker. It's like I could get one performance out of it. I'm not going to pay 12 bucks every time I do yeah. a trick. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so I came up with another <laughs> version of it um, that I used at the bar. And that's a trick that's on my DVD now. And uh, I've always liked Steve Bedwell's more. Mine was just as a substitute because it's something I had to do multiple, multiple times a night. Yeah. And I still like my routine for that too. I think there's some moments in there that's really good. I let them shuffle the cards in mm -hmm. mine. They see those cards are face up and face down. There's no question about it. They shuffled them. Yeah. And so there's some strong points to it. Um, but Steve's is a really good trick. Though those were the two tricks that I had in mind going into that bar. The chop cup and stuff that came just as a I in fact I didn't want to do that routine at all. Mm -hmm. um, I just thought, well, around the castle, the likelihood of people seeing a cup and ball or a chop cup routine is pretty good. Yeah, but it makes more sense at that bar than anywhere else. I use a shaker; it's sitting next to me anyway. Yeah, the yeah. lemons I use corks instead of balls, so it's corks that, and then you know I produce two lemons and now a glass of lemonade at the end. It just all fits to the environment. And I think that's how magic should be. Mm -hmm. you should make, you know, I've had people try to hire me for shows outside of there and want me to do some of those things. Um, like, well, those aren't the tricks I do outside of the bar because it doesn't make any sense for me to have a cocktail shaker outside of the bar. <laughs> doesn't, you know, it just yeah. doesn't. Yeah. Um, but instead, you know, I try to do everything based off of the environment I'm in. Mm -hmm. You know, I did a show recently... Uh, where they stationed me outside, and oh look, here's a lemon tree. <laughs> After the BS. Yeah, they had a razor blade, so I went to work eating yeah. lemon, and it's here, say stop, right here, <laughs> this one, is that fair? Cut that open, there's your card. You know, it's just lucky, but it was the thing of the nights, like at that, that's what everyone was talking about. Sure, yeah, because you know? it feels so special, it feels so right, you know, it was real. moment, yeah. And that's what the bar is, and that's why. When I do those routines, the napkins, the lemons, all that stuff at the bar, it's, uh, those are the ones that get the reaction. Yeah. How do you, what, because like, <clears throat> I completely agree with everything you just said. And then my question that comes up is like, what is appropriate for the close-up room? You know, like what, you, there's no inherent. There, There isn't, but... The close-up room, like the other rooms of the club, are a natural show. Exactly. They came for magic. Yeah, yeah. So in that situation, it doesn't matter. Okay. Right? Yeah. But, boy, you know, I've seen reactions when, you know, in the back of the close-up room is a picture of J.O.C. and he's holding up a seven of diamonds, I believe. And I think that's the card he's holding up in the picture. Uh, and I've seen multiple guys use that picture for something. Oh, well, he's got your card, blah, 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 and everyone turns around. And because it is part of the room and because it's of that, it gets way bigger reaction than that shit gets. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that in multiple ways. So things like when you do use the room, yeah. um, there's just in that room, there's not a lot you yeah, can yeah. do. But in that room, you're free to do 
a lot. It's mm-hmm. like, yes, it's a small room. You can't, you know, move around too much. You're yeah. not going to do Vegas style illusions in there, <laughs> but you can certainly do mentalism in there. And oh, you yeah. Can do, uh, you can do some stand up material in there. Jared Kopp at the castle yes, last did. time didn't even use the table. It's great. Right. Um, and that's neat. It's neat to see somebody use that room in a different way. Yeah. Um, I've thought of that too, just doing all mentalism in there and doing, you know, but I I do try to work on that room and any time, any room at the castle, uh, the bar obvious for obvious reasons for me is a place to work out material. And and I told you how I can do it. Yeah. Uh, but the close-up room is designed, uh, at least for me, when I agree to do the close-up room, it's because I'm going to get new material out of this i'm going to be able to add for my outside set i'm going Mm -hmm. to you know i get 17 to 20 minutes um and i get to do it 30 times in front of an audience and there's things i can't do at the bar uh that i can do in the close-up room a lot of things on the table for instance uh in the bar people can't see and that was another lesson i learned in the bar right away is you can't do things on the on the bar top yeah um at least not easily because and if there's six people at the bar, just the people sitting at the bar, that's great. Yeah. But if that's a full room, I, everything has to be up high. Everybody has to be able to see that. Well, in the close-up room now, I get to come in and do the gambling set, or I get to come in and you know I did that two times ago. I did a whole twenty minutes of gambling things, which I never do at the bar. Yeah. And then, so every time I try to change it, I try to get, you know, at least the goal is to get ten to fifteen minutes of usable new material. Yeah. So it should be new routines going into that. Are these all your own routines, or are you pulling from? Oh well. Your favorite sources, or? Well, yeah. I mean, um, my magic is a bouquet of someone else's poses. Everybody's. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, of course, yeah. I stand on the shoulder of giants. That one. Too. Sure, sure. Um, I mean, I want. The goal is not to have anything that you're going to see in another room. Yeah. I don't do a store bought item typically. Sure. Um, at least unless it's part of a larger whole. It's yeah. part of a routine. I mean, I certainly buy things. I buy magic things. Yeah, yeah. But it's not. It's a tool, and it's not the effect. How do you choose material? Because, like, just for me, I would like to, you know, do one of those rooms one day. How do you How do you know when something's good? How do you read it? And you go, that, well, that fits me. First what of all, it's got to like? be good for you. Yeah. Um, because there's things that I like that aren't good for me, yeah, and so I don't do them. And then there's things that I think people do because they don't know what else to do, <clears throat> like uh, sponge balls or something like that. You know, yeah, yeah. like well, why does everybody do sponge balls? Well, because people love them. Yeah, but that doesn't mean it's good magic. Mm-hmm. People like reality TV shows too. <laughs> you know, that doesn't mean that it's good. Yeah, it's just it's entertaining. Yeah, I'll give you that. Sure. And I guess if your ultimate goal is to entertain people, mm-hmm. um, but I think the first thing is you, and this may not be something that you say out loud ever, but you need to, as an artist, decide what it is that you want to convey mm-hmm. and what is the message that you want to get across. And sometimes it's hard to put into words, mm-hmm. but you better know what it is. Yeah. And then every minute of your show is a choice towards that goal. So that means there's no filler. There's no, uh, I'm going to do 
banana bandana because it's five minutes I don't have to think about. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't want five minutes that I don't have to think about. Yeah. Because that, that is going down the wrong road towards what I want them to. So It's not furthering the goal. Right. So There's every, no every moment on stage has to be a choice towards that goal for you, your artist goal, mm-hmm. your artist statement, whatever that is for you. And so all of my material is based off of that. All of my material comes off of, um, is there, there's something other than just a trick I'm showing you here. This is going towards yeah. uh, you getting to know me as a human being mm-hmm. and me conveying messages to you as a human being and, yeah. and, and us interacting together as human beings. And it's not about tricks. Yeah. It's about feelings. Yeah, yeah. And so I, my material, um, I guess you just get a sense of what works for you uh, after time. You just get to know you, and, you know, what, what works for you, what, what seems honest when you do it. Yeah. What's not a struggle? To, does the audience see that that's a fake thing? You know, when you see a 14-year-old kid talk about cheating at cards and going into this thing, <laughs> well, I don't believe you, sir. I don't believe that you... <laughs> you know that much about this world. Yeah. You know? Um, which is, it has to be authentic. Right. right? It has to be you. It has to be... Right. Mm-hmm. It has to at least feel that way. Yeah. Um, not not everybody... That's what... That's the, that's the struggle in magic, I guess. You get it. Magic is one of the few things where the prop could just get you through. Mm-hmm. And so some people can't tell whether you're good or not. Yeah. Um, because the, the trick was neat. Yeah. Right. And so yeah, sometimes yeah. that people could get away with that. Uh, and it's also one of the few arts where uh, I think people feel free to imitate. And so then you're doing things that aren't you. Yeah. Right. You're saying, and you can hear beginning magicians or, or people who haven't thought of their characters. And it's almost like they're switching from performer to performer in between tricks. And I see this all the time at the castle and someone's doing a trick and they sound like Paul Harris and now they're doing a trick and they sound like Jack Carpenter and now they're doing a trick and they sound like Darwin Ortiz. And I mean that the mannerisms and the, the tone and the pacing and it's because they're doing the trick, that trick, the way they learned it off that video or that DVD, which is the problem with learning off of uh, that type of uh, medium sure um uh, especially for people early on yeah um well that goes back kind of to comedy too you've got to try on your right and i again i yeah. i've done all of this yeah. i'm not no no, no no I, yeah, yeah, I did yeah, that no. as a magician also sure yeah i uh, of course. certainly mm-hmm. um copying other the performers that i looked up to and doing that trick and i do it say the things that they said and it's wrong and you're never going to to grow that way, and that's why magic isn't inherently an art. I don't think it's a craft, mm-hmm. and it can it can be an art. Yeah, but it also can be a craft. Yes, yeah. yeah. Well, just like painting can be art. art, that can be fine art, or it can be right. the you can hotel paint by painting, numbers, right? Right. Wall. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Bob Ross scene that you watched him and painted that same picture. Well, yeah. what's your message in that? What are you trying to convey? Happy Nothing, that's a mountain and a pretty little tree. <laughs> that is a pretty little tree. That's nice. <laughs> it's really neat. Right? But it's not, no one's ever going to remember that and no one's ever going to remember you. Yeah. And if you want people to remember you 
and I, that's much more important than them remembering your trick, mm-hmm. whatever effect you're doing. And people will remember that too. Sure. But I want. But that's a byproduct of it in and of itself. But they should you remember know. you. Yeah. And not, you know, if you're the magician that does this is your set is sponge balls, then you go into banana banana, and then you do the ambitious card, and then you close with Professor's Nightmare. Okay. Um, <laughs> and if you do magic, you know, once or twice a year for your local Elks Club or, you know, for the the kids in your dental practice or whatever, great. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's fun for you. Yeah. But if your goal is to be a, an artist or to be a magician... Then You've got to be self-aware. You, you definitely need to be self-aware and you, you need to... You need to know... <laughs> you need to know that your material is conveying you. Yeah. Is, is furthering your goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. I don't know. It's so, that's such a hard <laughs> question because to... Trying to define yourself is like trying to bite your own teeth. So, right? Does that make sense? Yes. No, it does. Yes. <laughs> it's like trying to bite your own teeth. You can't bite your own teeth. You are you. Yeah. You're you. Yeah. So be you. Okay. And that's the hardest thing to be. <laughs> yeah. That's the hardest thing to be because you have to be real with not only your audience, but you have to be realistic with yourself. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're 60 pounds overweight and you, you, uh, you, you want to go be the sexy magician, the David Copperfield, that's the ladies man. Yeah. That may feel inauthentic for the audience. Yeah. You know, and they're, they're not going to buy it. Yeah. They're just not. Yeah. And if you are honest with yourself and that's the other thing that stand up comedy did for me, I guess, because in order to be funny, I had to be honest. And a lot of it is self-deprecating. Yeah. And so being a, being the funniest moments came uh, discussing your shortcomings. People mm-hmm. like that. They do like that. And they like that because they can relate to it. And everyone's mm-hmm. trying to hide it all the time, but we all have it. Yeah. Right? And it's one of the things that makes us human beings. And I, I don't... And I don't mean that you have to be self-deprecating. It's just the lesson I learned. That's what worked for me. And I'm not self-deprecating when I do my magic at no, all. No, not at all. Um, but I think I have a realistic goal of who I am. Mm-hmm. Or a, a realistic view, rather, of who I am. Yeah. Um, and, and how, hopefully, how people view me. Mm-hmm. I think so. And, and, uh, I, people tend to... to keep coming back so. yeah no it's definitely yeah, working so, yeah. but that it reminds me of you know going out on stage at a comedy club if you you know if you have a look if you if you have a thing most comedians that i've seen will address that thing as one of the first things they do of when they course on stage. and magicians don't no they're totally unaware right. why, why are you dressed like that well because chris angel wears that yeah. eyeliner and does that that's why you're dressed like that well, yeah you're you're trying to wear your personality. Yeah. And that's not the thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it can be the thing, I guess, yeah. but it's shallow. And yeah, it's, yeah. You're uh, wearing a character. Right. And and if you're not doing a very clear character, then you look like an idiot. Right. You look like a fool. Right. Um yeah. You have to be able right. to address yourself right. in front of a group. But of like people. that and that goth 
look that hit magic when Chris Angel came in. It was just all over the place. Yeah, you just see it. You see those guys everywhere. And, um, I did it. Right. Did you? <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not ashamed to say that I. Right. And so I thought I was Bill Hicks. You know, yeah. we do that. Exactly. That's, that's how you grow. But yeah. um, you're right. You need to address it. Why are you dressed like that? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Why? Well, because it looks mysterious. Okay. <laughs> Does it? Uh, everything's mysterious. Yeah. We live in a mysterious universe. We yeah. know nothing about. That's that's what's neat about magic. Is mm-hmm. It's more of that. But it also shows that, that is, that's okay. I, I mean, I, to try to dress mysterious or to try to look... I mean, and not that I don't think magicians have a certain look. Certainly, I think of that, too. And at sure. the bar, I, I had dressed in bar uniform. I looked like every other bartender in that place, mm-hmm. uh, for the most part. And when I perform outside of there, I wear a suit. And, I, you know, I have a... Depending on the show. Uh, but I... You know, which is, of course, a conscious choice. Yeah. But um, I'm definitely not a, you know... The guy that wears the costumes and the genie pants and that type of magician either. It's just, I've never had a, that, the clothing that could fit my character really convey that message about me first. Yeah. But boy, when Max Maiman walks on stage, I think you really get a sense for what's going to come. Yeah. And it fits him. Yeah, right? absolutely. That look fits him. Yes. Because he originally, like, that's him. <laughs> that's, that's him, right? yeah. Max Maiman. And he addresses it mm-hmm. multiple times in the yeah. show. He he makes a comment about how he looks, and now it's scary. Or he walk out and say "boo," you know, or something like that. Yeah, oh, Max is brilliant. Um, but that but that character is so well defined that people within thirty seconds of him walking out on stage know what they're dealing. They with. They get it right. Yeah, and it fits him. Those clothes fit him. All mm-hmm. of it works. Yeah. If I tried to dress like that. It would look so ridiculous. You'd be laughed off stage. It'd be laughed off stage because yeah. it doesn't fit me at all. No. Right? And so that's it. You find out who you are. And I mean, I'll close her that. You, you you do wear your personality. Everybody does that. That's mm-hmm. a daily thing. Yeah. You wear a sports jersey every day. That guy's into sports. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Let's hope so, at least. Right? But I mean, people do that. They wear their yeah. personality. So that's yeah. a real thing that human oh, beings do. Oh, absolutely. But so yeah. wear your personality. Mm-hmm. And address it. Yeah. So that too, or uh, uh, yeah, when they don't, when people don't address it, or they make very obvious choices, and it, then it's weird. And now you immediately have a disconnect with the audience mm-hmm. instead of a connection. Yeah. Because they're not learning about you as an authentic person. Right. They're seeing your character. They're seeing this character that isn't fully formed and that doesn't really know what it is and right. doesn't necessarily fit. And it just, it detracts. It's all about the whole entire cohesive experience. Right. And if, if the, all the pieces aren't... And I also, it's very important that for me, my, my character on stage is very similar to my real life. Yeah. Uh, different. Sure. He's different. Um, but it's mostly me. Mm-hmm. Um, he's definitely more confident mm-hmm. uh, than me. I'm very shy and... Uh, like socially, I, I have a hard time talking to people. Uh, um, I tend to be withdrawn, and uh, that guy, he's not like that at all. Yeah, that Mike's very outgoing, and yeah. um, you know his goal is he he always owns that room. You own be the, and if that that's my room, you know if I'm working the bar, I, you have to be. 
you yeah. have to be in charge of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, or it just won't work. People talk through your show. They'll, you know, it gets <laughs> it's it gets unruly. Yeah. So that guy has to be confident, and he has to own that room. And so that's what he, that's what I am uh, when I perform. Mm-hmm. But that's certainly an aspect of my personality. Sure. Um, but just you pick up. the best. Yeah, you pick what works in your personality. Well, if that shy guy who doesn't want to talk to people at a party, he's a really shitty magician. <laughs> so I'm not going to be him. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to be that, that part on my on stage. But there's that part of my personality then that's more charming and more outgoing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I can pull out to from time to time, and well, that that guy works as a magician, yeah. so he's always the guy that gets to pull out. Yeah, yeah. It's important for people too when they're crafting their characters that like what they're pulling from is fully developed and three dimensional, mm-hmm. and they have to live a life worth commenting on. Yes, you know. Yes, you can't just be all magic all the time, yeah. too, right? I mean, I think about magic when I wake up in the morning. I think about magic when I go to bed. Sure. But, I mean, it's all day. It's magic in my family. Those are mm-hmm. the things that I focus on mostly in my life. But there are in many, all of the good ideas in magic come from outside of magic. I mean, not that I don't read a magic book and go, oh, that's a really clever idea. I can use that for something. Or that's a great trick. Yeah, yeah. certainly that's there. But... Uh, a philosophy book or something like that is much more likely to to give me an idea for an effect than a magic book. Mm-hmm. Uh, which sounds weird now. Not really. Now that is the case. That wasn't yeah. always the case. That's the case now, and I think that's when my magic got better too. Was when it it came from something else. Yeah. A routine. Uh, those. Yeah. I don't know how. I've never put that into words before. Um, I all the best ideas come from outside of uh, outside of magic for me, and, and you have to cultivate other passions and you have to have things that you're into. I'm really into science, yeah, and uh, I read a lot of science books and philosophy and, and various things like that, and that's where the that's where it all comes from. What kind of science are you into? What kind of philosophy? Are you into? Uh, physics. Mostly, I have time uh, travel written down. Yeah, right here. Right, like we discussed that, that one routine, and I, I have multiple things I do in that vein, and it's yeah. because it really is a passion for me. It's something I find since I was a little kid. I've been so fascinated by the idea of time travel, and it's something that I think about a lot outside of magic and outside of like. And I don't mean I'm I'm building a time machine. <laughs> sure. It's just do you a, try to work out the paradox? <laughs> sometimes. Um, sometimes I think about those things, which is, uh, that, that just make your, your head hurt. <laughs> but yes, all of that. But, um, the biggest, like, if you were to time travel, the earth is flying through space. We're not just going around the sun in the same part of space all the time. The sun yeah. is flying through space and we're chasing it. Yeah. We never go around it. We're yeah. going like this in circles and we're chasing it. And so where the earth is now is nowhere near where the earth was a hundred years ago. And so if you were to travel in time a hundred years ago, you'd just be flying in empty space right here, right? <laughs> the earth is still way behind you. <laughs> just died. You couldn't do that, right? <laughs> <laughs> the conviction with which you 
with which you looked at me and said you couldn't do you that. Couldn't do that. <laughs> you have to. You have to have a ship that flies. Yeah. Right. You can't have a. You can't have a DeLorean. You just That's can't. why the TARDIS. Yeah, the, TARDIS is the TARDIS works or a spaceship works. Um, but time itself, and physics. I mean, we live in. I like that. I like science and I like physics and I like these things because it's the only, well, it used to be for answers, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, I certainly went through a time where I had an existential crisis. And, sure. Uh, I did, for me, I, you know, religion wasn't an answer. I didn't mm-hmm. have that to fall back on. And so then there's questions and, um, that can't be answered and that can be depressing. And, yeah. Uh, Richard Feynman once said, I would rather have questions that can't be answered than answers that can't be questioned. And I loved that. And then I realized that it is, it is the mystery uh, that makes it good. That's, that's why life is good. Mm-hmm. That's what's neat. And that's what's neat about magic. It's like when you find out how a magic trick works, um, it's disappointing. I mean, not for us, yeah, that's sure. what we do, but for a layman, if you just said, oh man, I just turned over two cards and put that top one in the middle. Um, well, that blows. Right. <laughs> it's, but not knowing, then the possibilities are endless and it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And that's how our whole universe is, right? Yeah. We try to... I mean, and I guess science does answer questions, but we're at such a, you are so far away from any real answers, you mm-hmm. know, it's like science is a net and you're trying to catch the fish, but you're just catching water Yeah. and you can't catch water in the net and uh, that's how those answers are. Magic, I guess, reminds people of that and I like that. If they, you, get, if you get two types of spectators, you get people who love that and don't ever want to know. Mm-hmm. And then you get people who get angry and you can see it. They get angry because all they want to do is figure it out. Mm-hmm. If you can get those people, I like that too. That's a challenge. If you can get those people really just into it where they stop caring how it's done because you've touched them. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I've had people like that cry numerous times during shows and I like that. That's super. I've it's had... almost always men. Really? That cry. Um, I've had women cry at the bar, but I've had... What was that like? What, I mean, can you uh, recreate the, the scene? It's happened, of, uh, it happens probably about once a month. I meant just goal. in the story right now, could you... Oh, uh, well, doing, usually, I, sometimes they'll say it, and then, you know, you're just in the, the moment. You're so connected with that audience and doing the routines and... Some, I've had guys say it like, you're making me cry, and then I've had some where it's just, I see it, and they don't mention it, and then you can see they're embarrassed about it, so I would never mention it. If they mention it, then I, I always, of course, I just say thank you. Yeah. And, and I, I don't, I certainly don't try to, to embarrass them. It's That, to me, is one of the best responses you can get. Oh, absolutely. Right? I, um, it's interesting that these are men crying. Almost always. Almost always men. I have a theory about that, and I'm about to bullshit, and it's probably completely wrong, but I'm going to, this is my podcast, and I'll do it all. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, you know, men are 
generally just because of society supposed to be more analytical and supposed to be more hard-edged and so when they see something they can't explain and it's effortless like really beautiful yeah they there's no way for them to to comprehend it there's yeah. no way for them to be like yeah, it touch, it's yeah touches them. and it exactly it's like i can't understand that in this moment i can't understand yeah. it. and that's where that kind of works because the the most powerful time i've had people tear up from time to time but I have a very specific memory of making a, um, a girl weep, um, and she was an engineer. Okay, yeah. So I think that's yeah, what it was. Like I said, a lot of those analysts, the people who get upset because they don't know the answers, when they finally let that go, yeah. they'll be your best. Yeah. They'll be your best audience. Um, yeah. And I also, just because, I, I the last guy uh, that cried at the bar was about a month ago. Uh, maybe a little more. And he said, you are doing what you were meant to do. And that, well, you're doing what you were meant to do. And that's what touched him. Wow. Like he, he thought that he saw me living my truth. Wow. And I, that, then that got me. Yeah. Because I was like, wow, that's, that's beautiful. Thank you. And I, of course that's, in, you know, I, I don't, I don't have, tricks designed for that end sure i, I like it when it happens um and because then it's it's real mm -hmm. um certainly you can design that into sure. a show and it, if you can do that then of course that's a hell of an emotional response and now people are definitely connected to the show uh derek um delgadio uh, in and of itself um very touching moments in there and mm -hmm. the the bit with the letter yeah you know, really call somebody up and has a, a personal letter and says i'm going we're all going to watch you disappear the accountant or whoever it is you just profess to be and we're going to watch a mom appear on stage and it's this beautiful moment that that uh easily brings those tears and it was wonderful because it was real and it was never cheap although I think designing that routine, he knew that would happen. Mm -hmm. He That he, wasn't the point of it. It wasn't the point. And even if it was the point, and I don't know that it was, I mean, it's certainly an emotional part of the show. And sure, I'm sure yeah. that was the point. Yeah, of yeah, it. yeah, yeah. He didn't in any way cheat it. Yeah. And I'll give you an example um, of what I mean by that. Uh, one of my very favorite magicians in the world is Darren Brown. I am a huge Darren Brown fan. Great. But I'm not going to fight you on right. that. <laughs> Huge Darren Brown fan. Yeah. And he does this neat routine. I think it's in Enigma. It's in the show Enigma. Where he talks about um, when I was a kid, uh, my grandfather is the one who instilled a sense of mystery in me. And there was a box in his house. And he said, Darren, don't you touch this box. Don't you ever look inside that box. And when he died... Uh, we went, and all I took was that box. And I found the key, and I hid it, and I didn't want anyone else in my family to see it, and I took it home. Uh, I waited until I got to my desk, and I was alone, and I can shut the doors. And he goes through this whole thing about his grandfather, and, you know, to the point of, you know, telling a sad story about a kid who loves his grandfather, and he instilled this lifetime, you know, 
desire of misdreading. Mm-hmm. He brings people to that point of tears before he gets to the spectator. Yeah. And so now when it's the spectator's dead grandma's name on a coin engraved in a coin, they're going to lose it yeah. because he... They're primed for They're it. primed. Yeah. Yeah. And... It's a neat routine, and I bet people in the audience sometimes cry during it too. Not just that spectator, but certainly when that spectator on stage starts crying, that's when you'll get everyone else. Now yeah. it's permission, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. if the lights are down low and everything's right, you could probably get a bunch of those people in the audience crying. But I bet you at the end of that, they all think, does that box really come from your grandfather's house? That story seems a little bullshit. Yeah. Well, Derek didn't do that. Derek didn't tell you any sort of bullshit. I mean, sold stories of his life, but he didn't prime you to this point of near tears before he gave you that real moment from a spectator. And that was what was so beautiful about it. It It was a real human moment that you were watching. Yeah. So it was wonderful. Um, But so I don't do that. I don't, uh, I don't try to make you cry but boy if that happens that's the best response I can get from you yeah I think it's it's truth it's uh it's like um unlocking something inside where you know it go. I think it goes back to also being self-aware like if we're comfortable with ourselves as people then we'll be much more comfortable as performers and on the opposite side of that the audience is just a you know a group of individual people that aren't necessarily comfortable with themselves and then when they can empathize with you and what you're doing it unlocks that that safe a little bit yeah we want to all come together yeah all right first you bring them together Mm mm-hmm and then you bring them in with you, mm-hmm. and then you and, do your edge, and that's and how you lose. You're right, and that's how you lose an audience too, right? You say something, and now there it's them against you. Yeah, right. They'll stick together amongst themselves before they'll stay with you. Yeah, and that's another thing in performing, right? You say, yeah, no matter what, yeah, you know, I said, well, every moment on stage is supposed to be a, a choice. Yeah. And it is. Um, mm-hmm. Every moment of a performance should be a choice. But if you perform enough, that simply won't happen. Yeah. You're going to have a coughing fit during a routine at some point. Sure. Uh, you're going to have everything that can happen to you will happen to you. Yeah. Um, if you do it enough. Mm-hmm. And I do six to ten shows a night, four nights a week. It's, it happens. Yeah. And there's certainly things that happen on stage that aren't a choice or... You know, like I said, you need to be in that moment and connected to the audience, too, and you need to acknowledge things. And sometimes you do that wrong. <laughs> sometimes you make the wrong choice. Yeah. Sometimes you make a joke that you shouldn't have made, or you say something, and as soon as you say it, you're like, done. It's, yeah. They don't like me now. I've lost them all. What um, do you do then when you lose the audience? Well, I try to get it back, and if I can't, um, the bar is... I don't have a set show, yeah. so I close it, uh, like I just do one more trick. I don't end on the thing that I just had <laughs> a bad joke on, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you made some joke about some girl's name or something and it just wasn't funny and or whatever it is yeah, you know, that sure. happened in the spur of the moment. Yeah. Try to do one more thing that's nice and then just end it and then that's that, you know. 
And that that's a big benefit of that bar too. Is it's really they just really gave me some free reign to mm-hmm. do what I want to do uh, with that job. So let's run back around and how how, how you I got, got that job. Yeah. I got pretty off topic for about half an hour. There. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, nobody had that job for a long time. Bob Jardine, mm-hmm. and then I I, uh, I had a series of jobs around LA. I was running gyms. Uh, my dad owned a gym for 43 years in Colorado. And I, so I literally have done every job from janitor to general manager mm-hmm. for gyms. And so that was an easy job for me to get. I started working at Bally's and sales. And I started running a personal training department for them. I ran the personal training department at an LA fitness and uh, I was doing that and I just miserable. That's not what I came out here for. Yeah. And that's why I started doing comedy. And then um, the castle was looking for night managers, the hosts, the guys in the tuxedos that start the shows. Yeah. And uh, so I got that job and I was a manager of the castle, um, which was good and bad. And I mean, I was thought, well, I want to be around the castle. I love magic and, you know, it's nice to work at the castle in that way. And uh, I think that that actually hurt me in magic for a number of years. People didn't take me seriously. Yeah. And, they think I was a magician. I was just the host. Yeah. And I still to this day get it. Really? Yeah. I still have people say that to me. And Because like, of being a manager yeah. or because of being Aren't the bartender? Aren't just the guy that starts the shows? I still get that. Really? Yeah. I, had, I literally had somebody say that to me last week. What? Aren't you, aren't you just one of the guys that starts the shows here? You do magic? Who's, like, who said that? I don't want to name no, no, no! I didn't mean. No, no, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't mean. I didn't mean. Let's hang him right now. I meant like, like it was a magician that had seen you work, and I didn't know you did magic. Oh my god! Aren't you the guy that starts the show? I'm like, yeah, no, I don't. I haven't done that in years. You know, I did do that, and I did that for a number of years, and then uh, bartenders hated the hat and hair. It was the punishment bar. Yeah. And all anyone did was bitch about it because they're making like 30 bucks a night, 40 bucks a night yes. on a Saturday. That's what they're taking home. It's it literally like the bartenders that were being punished worked to that bar. Yeah. And so I thought, well, that's, you know, we have a magic there forever and that's what that bar needs. And so I tried to get that job and I was talking to the general manager and then he got fired. And uh, so I got to step back and I sold the food and beverage manager on it. And then he got fired. <laughs> and we didn't have anybody for a long time. It took me years. I, I pitched that idea for a number of years. And when the current uh, management uh, team came in, Joe Furlow, uh, and I told him about it. And I was a manager when he started, and he liked the idea. And he said, well, I'm going to hire a bar manager. And so then I kind of had to sell him on it. It's Chris Taggart. And, yeah. Um, but they were both super responsive to it. You know, the deal was I had never bartended. And when I first moved to Los Angeles to be a magician, that was my first thought. Well, if I have to get a job, I want to be a bar magician. I'm going to try to get a bartending job. Yeah. And I'll just learn to bartend and I'll start doing magic. Yeah. Uh, without the management. No, I'll just start doing it until it takes off. And then they're like, hey, do shows here. Like, that was yeah. my big plan. Yeah. Well... Everybody in LA wants to be a bartender. It's a great <laughs> job for actors. Yeah. Because it leaves your days free for auditions and you make good money. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> actors love that job and it's not as easy to get a bartending job as you think. Well, my pitch to the castle was no one wants to work this bar. It's a headache for you. 
That's the only bar I want to work. I don't ever want a main bar shift. I don't want any of that. I want to work that bar. I don't want to do magic. And they taught me to bartend to do so. Mm-hmm. Well, and by taught me to bartend, they allowed me to bartend. <laughs> I, had, <laughs> I had one night training at the main bar. Um, and that's, you know, how to use the computer and, and ring in the drinks and yeah. close out tabs and that stuff. And one night there, I mean, it was just the one night, and I served drinks, and that was nerve-wracking. You know, yeah. you think you know them, but if you're not, I didn't. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, I, bartending is a skill. And so then they, then that was that. Once I knew that computer, they said, "Okay, well, here's your shift. You're down in the hat and hair." And then people would, you know, I had my little recipe book back there, my bar book, and people would ask for things, and I'd be like. Uh, Gimlet, you gotcha. I go, like, <laughs> what the hell a Gimlet is? <laughs> uh, you know, it just, until I got it, it yeah. took me a while, but they were cool about that, and that wasn't ever a question. I mean, luckily the bar was super slow, and I started magic on night one. Yeah. And then people started coming for the magic, and, you know, then I started working on the bar skills, and then now bartending is just bartending. It's, you know, pretty confident making a drinks and if somebody orders a drink that I don't know uh, I no longer care yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not embarrassed by that anymore yeah I've yeah bartending long enough I'll just look at you and say no I don't know that but I do good card tricks <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about I don't know how to make that drink but <laughs> that's awesome or I just make something <laughs> like, oh, that's my version of it. <laughs> so it's a hell special, uh, you know. Almost yeah. no one will ever call you on that. No, of course They'll not. They'll just drink they it. They just want alcohol. Which is another... People don't know what they're drinking. They, people pretend they know what they're drinking. Like, I think if wine's bad, people can't tell. Like, if that wine's been sitting out too long, or the bottle's been open for four days, <laughs> they don't know that. They, no one has ever said... Not that I try serve a <laughs> wine at the bar, but it certainly that's happened. Like, I opened a bottle on Thursday, and then Sunday, I'm like... Good still. Let's see. She smiled. When I started doing the the lemons for the chop cup, it, it used to be I produced two lemons and then I started producing three lemons and I started producing four lemons mm-hmm. out of the one cup. And that was the routine I did for a long time. I did four lemons. Now I do two lemons and a glass of lemonade. Yeah. And because everything comes better in threes. And I had to go back to that and so it was three lemons. I'm like, well, there's no surprise by that third lemon. Like, yes, it's good. They got the repetition, but now the the lemonade made all the difference, right? And I mean, I'm not going to sit there and make lemonade. So I just pour sweet and sour juice in the cup, and then uh, a little water. Yeah, and it looks like lemonade. And then people would say, "Is that real lemonade?" And I say, "Of course, that's real lemonade." Can I can I taste it? And I'm like, "Yes." And they taste it, and they'd be like, "This is delicious lemonade." <laughs> And so now somebody comes to the bar and orders lemonade, I just stop and mix it up with a splash of water. It's the easiest. That's amazing. <laughs> I used to make lemonade, like lemon juice and sugar. Not that lemonade is a hard drink to make. Yeah. But I never would make that now. People don't know, man. That's hilarious. <laughs> they don't know what they're drinking. That's so funny. They just get sour mix in a cup now. <laughs> they always say it's delicious. It's amazing. <laughs> I, I've seen you do that trick, and I've seen people take it and drink it drink and it. be sour so happy. Mix. Sour mix with some so water. So gross. I just dilute it. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, yeah. 
That is amazing. Um, but that but that was it. It took me a long time, and they they allowed me to be a bad bartender till yeah. it till I wasn't a bad bartender anymore. Mm-hmm. And now I don't go. Oh, I'm a great bartender. But I'm a bartender. I mean, I can. I, I also, if I had to go cover a shift at the main bar, I wouldn't be scared of that. Like yeah, I yeah. could go bartend. <laughs> yeah. I can do that. I don't want to. Um, I'm not a bartender. I'm a bar magician. Mm-hmm. In my mind, there's that distinction, but I tend bar, and uh, I like it. There's parts of it I really like. I actually like mixing drinks, and there's certain things I like, and I like whiskeys and things, so mm-hmm. I get into that aspect of it. I yeah. don't like dealing with fruit. I don't like counting the money. I don't like washing glasses. Barbacks do most of that stuff. I do a lot of that throughout the night. And sure. That's the not fun part of the job. But boy, the magic part's rewarding. That's great. Yeah. Uh, so now I've been there four years. I've been doing that um, four years next month. In September, it'll be four years. Wow. And uh, I don't see it ending anytime super soon. I hope not. Anyway, it's... Uh, I hope... I, well, I guess I hope eventually I get so busy with private shows that I can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And certainly in the past six months, that's been a, a little bit more uh, regularly. I've had to take nights off since the... Since the award, yeah, that helps. Um, <clears throat> what are you? I mean, because you kind of revived that hat and hair bar magician thing. Are you looking at somebody to take over for you, or absolutely is it, not? You just want it, you just <laughs> no. want it to die after you leave? No, I don't know that. I don't, I'm not planning on leaving. Okay, well, yeah. I mean, I, again, I hope I get to that point where I just sure. can't. Yeah, I can't do this four nights a week. Anymore. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's a lot of downtime in magic and there's so, they know that the money comes from private shows and they know that that's not, you know, I have a family and they're all cool. They love me there and they're as far as I know, and they're all nice to me. And I've never had a question when I say, Hey, I need Saturday off because I got a show just done. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and that's never that's never a question. Yeah, yeah. Because they know they know. Yeah. I think what they are getting for their bar wages. Because I'm a bartender there. I'm not a magician. Yeah. I'm a bartender at this like by pay, and so there's never a question. They're always so cool about that. And you know, I need this off. I have shows, or I'm going to go do some lectures, and I got to take the week off. Yeah. They're cool about it. That's great. Yeah. Uh, it's a good spot. I'm a lucky guy for sure. But it took me years. It wasn't. Yeah, yeah, no. It wasn't like I just walked in and and got that job. (laughs) I had to sell myself on that job for years. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't easy. And it wasn't easy to learn it. Yeah. And then uh, the magic I was doing at that time, uh, when I started, I said, I I told you I had two tricks in mind, that these are the things that I want to do. And then everything else was just kind of, I'm just going to go do some of tricks yeah until I started seeing what worked at the bar and yeah. then like I said it was a hard realization to realize you know, most of the magic I had in mind was wrong yeah all down on the bar on the table yeah how do you how take it, it up how do you, what do you well some material just didn't work yeah um, uh, and then I just developed material for that setting I, mm. I, I you know the devil makes three came from there that coin trick came from there well I need to do something I was going to do 
a coin trick and it was low and the, the back of the room can't see it. So I got to have to do something everybody can see. And so the trick developed based on that. And a lot of routines do that. And then some things you can just change, some things you can't. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some that have less impact, I think, like uh, Triumph uh, or something like that. Like I like at the end to spread, you know, big ribbon spread across the bar and they can see that one card. Yeah. But you can't do that. You got to spread them from hand to hand, and how they see it, you know, and it kind of it's too slow. It, it, it changes that moment a little bit. I think it's not as strong as it could be if there were only five people at the bar. I could just spread them on the bar before you, yeah, you know, it's that instant. Holy shit! Everything just got. That's like all the cards just turned over instantly versus all the cards <laughs> turned over kind of slowly. And yeah, spread yeah. Them from hand to hand, at least in their minds. Maybe. Sure. Some things are, are stronger up here. Some things are not as strong up here. And you just have to find the material that worked for, for that yeah. situation. Well, it seems like you have to, you know, going back to being in the moment, you have to be in the moment to know which one to do. Mm-hmm. You know, especially if you've got the... My, my, I, don't, I don't do shows. I don't do gigs. I perform for a small group of people when I feel comfortable to do the stuff I want to do. And that's a huge freedom. <laughs> that's a huge freedom. Like, yeah. but it's but but that affords me a lot of freedom to be in the moment too, and so like having the restriction of your performance setting, and then remaining in the moment. I, I'm sure it's easy for you because you you've gotten used to it and you're like professional. Yeah. But was is it was it hard when you were starting back in that bar magician thing to? Yeah, get used to that for sure yep. yeah trying to get in the, yeah for sure and and you get better as a performer too and yeah you know nerves are that that's very rare that that happens now or you yeah. know that i can now i can focus on that because i'm not scared of my material yeah like i know it's good i know this trick's gonna get you yeah and i know it's gonna fool you i've done it thousands of times this isn't yeah. something i've done 15 times this is something i've done 2000 times yeah in front of a real audience yeah yeah i know it's good uh, and i don't mean that sound like an asshole saying that i know that's a strong routine i'm doing or i wouldn't be doing it yeah exactly it's been worked out i've worked out the moments i've worked out the kinks of that and not that it's perfect sure because nothing is no. there is not a moment and there's not a set i do there i don't make a mistake i can't remember the last one where i didn't or, make a mistake sometimes you get lucky yeah and sometimes you know things happen where it's like boy that was way strong that was such a strong set because they happened to name the card i had preset for something else or this and so i just went into it yeah like it was like a named card instead of a chosen card or you know things are extra strong because of it but uh um (laughs) anyway uh (laughs) i completely forgot what my point was oh you were just saying that there's never a perfect set oh there's never a perfect set yeah i I always make mistakes in in every show there's something that i'm and so that's uh that's how you do it um when i started the bar and i still do this to an extent uh but i used to do it on paper and i would keep a piece of paper behind the bar and i would do a couple things uh for every show i would i would write down one or two sentences what happened and what went wrong and I was doing a thing early on where I I still do a thing where I have a card built and named at the beginning Mm -hmm. and so for a long time I would write down every card and because I wanted to see if there's a pattern 
Yeah. And I want to see what cards are likely to come up and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Um, but with that is, I would write down, okay, they said the Eight of Diamonds. Show one, Eight of Diamonds. Uh, messed up this, uh, was sloppy, whatever it is, yeah. you messed up, uh, dropped a coin. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end of every night, I take that home and, and go over go over it and, and why. What happened? What So what was the best part of the show? What was the worst part of the show? And any mistakes? That's what I would write. One sentence, what was the best thing in the show? Mm-hmm. What went the strongest? What trick was the strongest? What got the best reaction? Was it a line? Was it a joke? Did the audience member say something that was funny and that I can now use? Yeah. Or did the audience set you up for something that now you can condition the next audience to set you up for? Yeah. Um, what was good then? What was the worst part of the show? And any mistakes that I felt were not strong? Any moments that were not strong? Why was my timing off when I did this? And I would do that for every single show every night. And yeah. I would take that home and I'd, I don't want to say dwell on your mistakes, but you do. You better. Um, you learn if you from want to that. stop making them. Yeah. Uh, and not that, I, again, I make mistakes to each other <laughs> something. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes, you know, it, it could be as simple as, oh, I missed, a fa- I missed a phase. And I know that sounds weird, but you do 10 shows a night, four nights a week. Kind of runs together. And sometimes I get to a point and I think to myself, I like stop and I'm on autopilot and I realize I've said all these things. And I don't know where I'm at and I don't know where the card is. And I don't know. I, did I do this phase? Have I just done this for this audience or did I not do that yet? Because I just did it six times. Yeah. And I don't know. What do you do? I don't know. Well, sometimes I miss things. Sometimes I miss phases or Mm -hmm. like, uh, but when you have that realization, what is the, well, you try to figure out where you are and try to get back to, the moment, yeah. right? That yeah. means you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. You're not in the present. Yeah. You're thinking about something else. Yeah. Which is, you know, well, that's why you want your material so polished and good because I could be one step ahead of the audience, right? But you have to also have that realization in the in this present moment. You have to. You have to be in the now to make it a connection with the audience. You're not going to. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes when you do it over and over and over, it's... It's a job. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a great job. Yeah, yeah. But it's a job. Yeah. And sometimes you don't want to be at work. And that's true of that too. Sometimes yeah. I got you know uh, I have a three year old and an eight month old, and sometimes I've been up since four in the morning. Yeah. And now this is my eighth show today, and I'm done. I yeah. don't want to do magic for you. I don't. I don't want to do this. Yeah. And it's not. It's just, I'm just, I, and it does, it just happens sometimes. You go on autopilot and then I've had that happen where uh, I'm on the, doing the coin routine or something and then I, I don't know where I am and I can look at my hands, but there, this is at this phase four different times in this routine, I'm in this position. <laughs> or So did I, like, and I this happened where I'm like, and the third coin is right here. And then I realized I had skipped that entire thing and I never told them there was a third coin. And now I'm into a thing where there's three coins and people are looking like, yeah, what's happening? <laughs> I never told them there was a third coin. Yeah. And got into that whole phase or whatever it is. So you got to come back to the moment. I've seen, 
I've, I've certainly seen other magicians do that, but Copperfield is one I've seen like that. You know, that guy does 350 plus shows a year, these full big ass shows. And I've seen him be the best magician in the history of the world. Yeah. Where it's just like, I just witnessed real magic. Yeah. And then I've seen him where he just phoned that entire show in, and I don't even know that he was present one moment of that show. Yeah. And I've seen him do that. He's just going through the actions. And, yeah. Uh, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And that's clearly not a good thing, but sometimes it just happens. Yeah. But the goal always is to be, and like I said, in life, the goal in life is to be in the present. If you're, you're anxious, you're living, you're thinking about the future. If you're depressed, you're thinking about the past. Right? If you're, what is it? And if you're thinking about the present, you're, uh, Oh, I don't know. I, they, I, I just, I just recently I saw. I know. I just recently <laughs> saw what it was, and I can't uh, remember. So whatever. But I mean, that's also cliched for a reason too. Yeah, and it's true. Yeah, you're here, and most of our lives aren't lived like that. Most of our lives are are lived thinking about some other time. Yeah. I just, and that's what's beautiful about performing, though. Mm-hmm. That's it's it's a it's a way to to bring it back. Everybody needs something. You know, if you play tennis, when that ball's coming at you, you're not thinking about nope. your taxes. You're thinking about hitting that ball. Yep. And that's what I think people like about it. You know, when you're playing golf, you're not thinking about the bills or the dentist, or you're thinking about that. It's an escape, yeah. It's that escape. Um, but more than that, it's a meditation. It's a a refocusing it's not it's not an escape it's the opposite of an i mean it is an escape sure yeah yeah, yeah. no it's i know the you're opposite saying. of yeah. an escape it's it's a it's not, coming to the well not the opposite of an escape either you're coming to the presence and you're yeah. being real yeah and that's how you're supposed to be yeah it's an escape from your stories and your mind yeah. and you know really right. delving into the present i i just saw copperfield in vegas yeah. uh, and <laughs> i hadn't seen his show for Three and a half, four years. Okay. The last, like, two or three Magic Labs ago. Okay. And so there's, you know, like, over half the show is new. Yeah, and I haven't then. seen it. Oh, I need to see it. It's really great. I haven't seen it. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, he's... Yeah. Well, I'm a magician because of him. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh... I thought I didn't like Magic until I saw him. I, well, I, I liked it. I mean, I just... I was, uh, seventh grade. Yeah. And my dad got tickets to David Copperfield. And up until that time, the only magician I'd ever really seen was a local guy who did kids shows. And mm-hmm. Like I said, my dad owned a gym for 43 years. And he had this guy work that that gym uh, for kids shows. And so he had big outdoor pools and water slides. Sure. Like it was a really cool spot. Yeah. But he had this magician there three or four times a year. And, you know, it was my dad's place. So I was there for all of those parties. And I saw the same magician three or four times a year, every year. Doing the same tricks. Doing the same stuff. And yeah. that's what, that's what to me, that's what magic was. Yeah. And he's a very competent kids magician. Sure. I just didn't think I liked magic. Yeah. You know, by the seventh grade. When yeah, I was yeah, yeah. little, I loved it. Yeah. And him, I thought he was great. And then by that age, you know, I want to be an adult. You know, you're seventh grade, you want to be an adult. So yeah. now, now you want to be the shit. And, uh... My dad brought home tickets to David Copperfield, and I knew he was a magician, but I didn't know. I've never seen anything. I never watched a TV special up until that point, and I remember arguing and saying I didn't want to go. 
Was he on tour or yeah? Was he, okay, and yeah. He came to my hometown, That's so Colorado. Funny. This is this is where he had the same story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I did not want to go, and um, he made me. I, and, and so it was my parents and my brother and I, and uh, uh, David did. Uh, well, I mean, he did his show. It was amazing. It was when they were getting ready for the Orient Express special, whatever that was, and. Uh, because he was talking about that during our show, that that was coming on his next TV special, and he's going to make a train car disappear. But he made a motorcycle disappear, and he came up right behind my chair. Yeah. And he put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, do you like that? And now I am being interviewed on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. It turns out I liked it. And had he not done that, that moment of him putting his hand on my shoulder uh, was just this guy's magic. Yeah. And then out of everything he did that night, uh, he sat on the stage and did a card trick. He did Jay Sankey's Airtight. And that was the moment. That was like where, where first he did that and then the motorcycle came after that. But he did that and that was where I really, out of all the stuff he was doing and, you know, a... It's David Copperfield that he's awesome, but he's yeah. got super hot chicks and they're dancing and they're smoke and fire and all yeah, this yeah. awesome stuff. Yeah. And I'm seventh grade, so I'm loving that. Yo, know? yeah, yeah. And then he did that card trick and I just went, that was the first good card trick I'd ever seen in my life. Yeah. I'd never seen a, card, a real card trick up until that point. I'd just seen, you know, whatever bad <laughs> card tricks kids did. Yeah. I, I didn't even know that of a Svengali deck or any of that. I sure. didn't know that that existed. Yeah. And... Uh, he did that card trick and I just went, that's the thing. That's the best thing he did. And that was it for me. Um, this past year I was in the, uh, the close-up room last time and I did that trick because my dad came to see me for the first time ever wow. in my life in a professional way. Yeah. Of course they saw me do magic as a kid. And sure up until the point where I moved here, but he came out and saw me work professionally for the first time. My mom died about four years ago, but I told that story and I did that trick for him. And the close-up is cool. That's so cool. Yeah. That's really awesome. That's cool. Uh, but that's why, uh, so when I see Copperfield, to me, he's always going to be that guy that did that to me. Yeah. Um, and, and then I didn't know how to do that. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't know... How, as far as I knew, that guy was actually magic, and you had to, <laughs> you had to be magic. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that that's something you can buy. Like, I didn't know magic stores existed. Yeah. That didn't. There was, turns out there was one about 50 miles from my house. Uh, my brother told me about, my oldest brother had been into magic when he was a kid. He was 14, he was, is 14 years older than me. Yeah. And so I didn't really grow up with him, but I, I remember his magic table hanging in the garage. It had a big dragon painted on it. You know, what? I, was, I was like, oh, that's Sammy's magic table. <laughs> he was a, Sammy used to do magic shows and for the Boy Scouts and stuff. And so I just always hear that. I never really saw him do anything. I was yeah. too little. Um, but when I got into it, you know, I asked him and he pulled out some stuff he had in his garage. Uh, some boxes and gave me some books, a Henry Hay book, and mm-hmm. some various tricks, a devil's handkerchief. And uh, he showed me he had a, a styrofoam zombie ball. <laughs> and he did that for me right there. And I was like, 
holy crap. And he said, you know, there's a magic store in Colorado Springs. And I'm going up there this weekend. Do you want me to take you? And I'm like, yeah. You know, I had gotten into it when I finally found it. Uh, I got Mark Wilson's Course in Magic and I bought a box set and it came with sponge balls and a like, deck of cards from China and yeah. some rope or something. Yeah. And I stayed up with that all night. And so that's what it was. I was uh, almost 16. And so I was in seventh grade when I saw Copperfield years went by yeah. before I actually found that book in a book, bookstore, that Mark Wilson course, and I bought it when I was 15. And so it had been about two, three years. And uh, at least two years, I would think, since I had seen Copperfield. And uh, then he took me to the magic store and told me on the way there about the invisible deck. And he's like, yeah, they have a thing they're called an invisible deck. And uh, he's, so I went in and I asked for that immediately. And my first trip to the magic store, I walked out with an invisible deck, color-changing knives, uh, and uh, something else really good. Yeah. And, yeah. That's a great first trip. Right. Yeah. And then that was it, man. Walking in that magic shop for the first time, that was... That, that Don't was, magic shops smell great? Yeah. <laughs> and just that feel. I've never... That feeling mm -hmm. of walking in. I was at the Magic Apple yesterday. And I watched this kid walk in with his mom and uh, sister. And it was that moment for oh, him. wow. And I watched it over his face. And it was like... God, that's amazing. I'm living vicariously through E right now because I miss that feeling of yeah. walking in just like the sky's the limit. Like there are mysteries to behold here. This is like all the secrets of the universe right in that case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all I have to do is ask. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to show me that thing uh, that's going to change my life. And I love that. And there were uh, some really good magicians working there. Um, a guy named Ed Andres, uh, who's and, uh, the owner of the store, is named Mark Modiris, and the store's still there. It's called Zizo's Magic Castle. <laughs> uh, and Zizo is a member of the castle here. I see him up here every once in a while. He used to own a chain of them. His name's Larry. Uh, he owned a chain of those stores. And But the guy who owned it, when I started going there, was named Mark Modier, and he was a young guy. He had just moved back from Los Angeles. He was out here at the castle. And he's who told me about the Magic Castle. Yeah. I didn't know that existed. He said, oh, I just moved back here from that and bought this store. And, you know, he was real nice. And he showed me some things mm -hmm. and taught me things. And, you know, aside from what I was buying, like regular deck things, and he would give me pointers. And then uh, it took me a while to get everyone else that worked there to, to be cool, too. Yeah. Um, as it does. Sure. Uh, Gotta earn it. And then uh, Ed Andres was the other guy there. And, there's another local guy, Ken Simmons. Um, have you heard of Ken Simmons? You no. Know, he passed away this past year. He was a student of Marlowe's. Okay. And he was good. And he was really good. A local uh, guy. And he showed me some stuff. And then uh, Jason England moved to town. Uh, so, well, anyway, I started working at that magic shop. Yeah. Um, after going there for about a year. Yeah. Uh, I would... You know, like I said, it's about 50 miles from my parents' house. And once I got my driver's license, you know, that's what it was all about, was yeah. going to that magic shop. And uh, so I started working there on the weekends. I would work there on Saturdays and Sundays. And uh, I worked there for about six years. Mm -hmm. um, that's where I met Derek. And that's where I met Jason. And yeah, so... 
Is Derek from there, or? Derek was from Denver, originally, okay. and then his family, uh, well, I met him, he was still living in Denver, he was 12 when I met him, he started coming in the shop. Uh, How old were you working at the shop? Um, I'm, uh, I was 18 then, maybe? Okay. 19? Yeah. When I met Derek, mm-hmm. I was 18 or 19. And then Jason? And Jason then the next year, okay. uh, he came in, he moved to Colorado Springs from Okinawa. He was staying in the Air Force mm-hmm. and he moved to, he got stationed there in Vandenberg Air Force Base and uh, the owner of the shop, uh, Mark, said, um, hey, this guy came in last night when I was closing up and uh, we're all going to go out to eat tonight after work. We're going to go down the street, went to a Mexican restaurant called Jose Muldoon's. And, uh, <laughs> what a great name. <laughs> right? And, you know, it's a couple blocks away. And I remember that because I just had a conversation with Jason about it a couple days ago. <laughs> because it was the first time I, uh, he showed me things that I just didn't know were possible. And like I said, he had just gotten back from Okinawa. At this point, I think Jason himself was only into magic for about six years. Um, which isn't very long, mm-hmm. uh, especially back then. And I mean that because now six years in magic is different. Yeah, definitely. Because there's resources. Mm-hmm. So this is, you know, uh, certainly the internet existed, um, but it wasn't like it is now. There yeah. wasn't a YouTube, there wasn't all these videos, there wasn't all these magic. You know, at that time, uh, I remember when I was 17 getting on a, a magic talk page you know it was on tuesday nights at seven and there was a message board like it was a real a lot of time oh magic God, where was tuesday nights at seven on <laughs> so i mean there wasn't the resources so yeah. six years in magic then wasn't like six years in magic now yeah where you have all of this stuff available to you uh except for jason because jason was in okinawa and he brought over a bunch of really good magic books with him and he had nothing to do but scuba diving at good at card tricks mm-hmm. And he did. And so then he opened up my eyes to magic differently than what I was doing there. And working in the magic shop and coming up in the magic shop, I was doing stuff that now I wouldn't. And I know, you know, you know, there's guys that got into magic and then their tastes never change of yeah. what it is they want to do in magic. And that wasn't the case for me. You know, I was doing all the magic store tricks. Yeah, sure. That's what I did. And then Jason... Uh, uh, gave me the Richard Turner videos. These are all VHS at the time, and then the Steve Forty VHS, and then that was everything that changed my world. Yeah, are you big into the the gambling slate and stuff? I was, yeah. uh, and now I am still like as a hot like I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was into it more. I I don't do that stuff very often anymore. I have a point in formal shows, depending on how long uh, my show has to be, that I that I have that. Yeah, uh, which is why I told you two or three times at times the back yeah. in the close-up room. I did a whole gambling set, and it yeah. was for that reason. And it's a neat, uh, it's you know, false deals, and which all builds into this, you know, uh, poker demonstration, like a lot of gambling routines. Yeah, you know, it's not as good as Derek's. It's like uh, it's an it's a solid routine. It's just not the same payoff as that. It's, it's, uh, I like the Ortiz, uh, 
the ultimate card shark, that type of routine, you know, sure. where the deck's clearly being shuffled throughout this entire thing through all these deals, second deals, bottom deals, center deals. And now at the end, I deal out the, you know, you have the four tens, you have the four jacks, you have four queens, kings, and I got the aces and that type of stuff. Um, but it just doesn't really fit my style anymore. Mm -hmm. I can fit it in there in the show, in a formal show, but I don't do it at the bar very often. Yeah. Um, why don't you do it at the bar? I have a couple of ideas about why, but I, I'd like to hear you um, explain why. Well, I it I don't like to show off the moves mm -hmm. anymore. Um, it's very much an expose type of magic, mm -hmm. and I really want to create magic for people now. And as yeah. soon as you do that. Now it's all sleight of hand. Now, yeah. now what you're doing is all skillful. And not to say that I don't show skill, because um, I think I do, and I handle cards better than you know the average Joe when I'm in front of the audience. And I do do fl some flourishes, but they're at, like everything else. They're very specific choices. Mm -hmm. And very specifically placed. Yeah. I, I, if you watch my show, the very first thing I do is I have a card built and then it's in an empty box sitting on the table. I have a card box on the table and I dump out one card and it's the card they just said. There's no apparent skill involved in that. It's amazing. Yeah, it is absolutely uh, amazing and it fools me every time. Thank you. Um, that should be a closer but like I said, everything has to be a closer. Yeah. But one thing I learned at the bar was if I want people to take me seriously and not just the bartender, because I've had this where I'm starting a show and then I've had people in the audience go, this guy's just a bartender. Let's go see this guy right here. And they're pointing at a guy who's been in magic for six months. Some dick butt in the museum. Right. <laughs> and like, I've seen this guy and he's god awful. Like, yeah. I mean, this guy knows nothing about magic, but I've, I've heard them say... This guy's a magician. This is a bartender. Let's go see this guy. And they'll walk out. So I know that I need to get them into it. And so that's the first trick is something I think is very powerful. Yeah. And um, with no apparent sleight of hand. Yeah. And in fact, I, I mentioned that that's not the case in the script. And that I don't want you to think that this is luck or sleight of hand. And I build up all around that. Specifically. Uh, and then the next thing I do, I do the only flourishes that I will do throughout the thing. And those two tricks are almost always the first two tricks I open a show with. And then everything else can be different. Um, I have multiple closers and multiple ways to close that show. And all the things in the middle, I can switch in and out. Sometimes I feel like doing these tricks and these tricks. They're all strong things. They're all things I think are closers. Those two tricks are very specific. The card in the box is no sleight of hand and it's a very magical feeling. Yeah. And then the next thing I do is to keep them there. And so I have a card selected and now I spread the cards for the first time in a ribbon spread. That's mm -hmm. neat for people. Yeah. Then I pick them up and I spring the cards from fairly far away and it's usually gets a response and also during this routine I fan the cards and I do in the buildup of all the these aren't like one after the other like a yeah, sure. show but also in this routine I do Daryl's hot shot cut mm -hmm. 
And so now they've seen both things from me. And yeah. now I stop doing the flourishes and I go back to the magic. Yeah. But it's enough to keep them at my bar and go, oh, that's not a bartender. Yeah. That guy knows what he's doing. Right. When the, it t- and it, I didn't do that at first, the, the flourishes at all. It's not the type. I, I've never, in my magic, gone, oh, I need some flourishes here. Yeah. Uh, I'm not that guy. I'm not good at that. I'm not. <laughs> I, mean, I can't do the stuff that you guys do. I just can't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do some of it, and sure. I think the stuff I do, I do okay, but I don't. I'm not that. It's just never been part of my act. And sure. then I realized it very specifically needed to be here because I need them to know that this isn't just a bartender. Yeah. Um, aside from those weird shows where, like I said, nobody knows me. People don't even know I do magic. And then they'll be like, are you, oh, you do magic too? I'll be like, yeah, sometimes. And then I may not do that. And I just do new trial. Like, let's just try something. Let's yeah. go out on a limb here. Let's yeah, yeah. jazz a little bit or I'll pull out a mem deck. And now I'm just going to jazz it. Because I have nothing to rent, there's nothing to lose. You, yeah. you think nothing of me already. I'm a bartender to you. Yeah, yeah. You know, but if it's a real show and I got half the audience, I really want to get all of you, and I want to make it a show, and I need to fill up that tip jar. I have a very specific order of I'm going to show you skill, mm-hmm. and so the gambling material, it just it's more of that, and um, it just doesn't tend to fit me. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anymore. Although I still love it and I love that stuff, you know, Steve Ford is still my hero. For sure. Yeah, that's awesome. I, and I, I also just assume that it's hard to see. It's hard to see. Bar. That's yeah. also, that's true. Yeah. I do do it sometimes. I have a, I, I don't do that full routine, but sometimes I'll do the deals. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's the right crowd. I Again, that's part of being in the crowd. If I got people there that keep talking about, I'm going to take you to Vegas or this, or do you play cards? And they keep going back to that. Clearly I got some card players in the room and yeah. if people are into it, then, oh, well, then let's, let's talk about it. Yeah. And now this is the best thing for you. Yeah. It um, fits, it fits that moment. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I find out, you know, uh, I had, uh, uh, somebody bring some guests down and, um, then I found out that they're, presidents of hotels in Vegas <laughs> and they, they run casinos. These yeah. two guys run mm-hmm. casinos. And so then, you know, uh, you, a, you better be careful of the nonsense gambling talk you're doing because they, they know you're bullshit. Yeah. But then they started bringing it up. And so then I started doing things and I happened to know that that's who they were mm-hmm. and they didn't know that I knew that. Yeah. And so they'll say things like, do they let you in Vegas? <laughs> and I know who you are. You Do they let you in Vegas? Yes, I'm allowed within city limits. <laughs> but and I just looked at him and I said, "Of course they let me in Vegas. That's silly. I couldn't do any of this in a casino. This doesn't work like that. You know, you've got that eye in the sky, and you got all these trained people out there. And they don't let me deal the cards. This is the type of things you do at home games. Let me give you an example of how you could take advantage of this in a home game." And now I start talking about that, and those guys were sold. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, odds are upstairs, they just heard somebody, oh, yeah, I could, uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. they don't let me in Vegas, so I could do that. Yeah, no magician could do that shit. No. You know, very few, and I happen to know the guys, some of the guys <laughs> who could do that. Yeah. And I'm not one of them. No. 
Um, I'm a magician. Yep. <laughs> right, and I think audiences respect that too. They yep. respect that honesty, and they, no, I don't do that. Or, you know, some people say, uh, why don't do you cheat it? Why don't you cheat at cards with this? Well, I have morals. <laughs> I'm not a terrible person. <laughs> first of all. You know, why don't you steal people's wallets? Yeah. You have that skill, yeah. <laughs> right? Why don't you do that? Well, yeah. You're not a bad person. Yeah, I don't do that. I it's kind of like that's it's it's like having a superpower though, yeah. and I think that's what people. Yeah, it's like you get to do things none of us could even dream of doing. Right. Why aren't you doing it? Yeah, so. Superman can smash into the bank, but he doesn't exactly because he's better than that. Because he's a boy scout, <laughs> right. but, like myself. But he could do that. Yeah, he could, and absolutely. he doesn't. Mm-hmm. He chooses to, to use, I choose to use this for good. <laughs> <laughs> I bring wonder and meaning to people's right. lives. I don't or steal I from don't, them. Or I make cards turn over in a deck. And then there means, it means nothing. Well, I mean, none of it means anything, yeah, honestly. Means anything. We could get very... Right. It's all, life is empty and meaningless. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> right. But with that, right. is endless it possibility. In, in spite of the absurdity of it. Yes, the cosmic joke. So, uh, anyway, back Jason, um, Jason came to Colorado Springs and changed the way I do magic. And uh, do you remember what he showed you? Uh, yeah, the very first thing he showed me um, was uh, cutting to the aces, and then the last card he had me cut to, and I cut to the last ace, and then I, it blew my mind. <laughs> and then he was doing the. Uh, when we left the restaurant, we went back to the magic shop and we were just hanging out. You know, it was closed, and he was doing this color. T- he was doing the uh, uh, what's that change color I do in my time travel routine? <laughs> um, uh, uh, the snapped? shapeshifter. The shapeshifter yeah. change. And at the time, nobody knew. We didn't know what that was. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, we were back on the monitor, the security monitor, watching him do it, rewinding it, trying to figure out what it was he was doing. No one knew what that was. That's awesome. Right? He walked in doing that. That's, that's what I remember. That's really cool. And then, like I said, he, he just gave me the right sources, the 40 tapes and the Richard Turner tapes. And uh, and I just saw what was actually possible, what you know, what you could do with a deck of cards, yeah. watching Steve and then and then Jason. And, um, you know, that's that. Like, I changed the way I started doing magic. And, and at least... Being more conscious, uh, and it took a number of years, really, to, to do so, but to be more conscious of the material you're choosing and how it fits you. And, yeah, how did you that know? artistic sense come out? Um, well, I, you know, again, you have to define who you are, mm-hmm. and then you have to design your show based on that. Mm-hmm. And if you tell a lie during it, and I don't mean you tell a lie, I mean you tell a lie about who you are, Yeah, they will know. Mm-hmm. Of course, you tell lies during it. We we lie. That's what we do. Yeah. We lie, mm-hmm. but you can't lie about who you are. Yeah, or they'll know. And so all of that material. But and then also, who do you want them to see? And and so I don't want them to see that I am a magician who uses sponge. I my I didn't, you know. I don't necessarily want to think I sold my soul to the devil, but if I did, I certainly didn't do it to make. 
a sponge appear in your hands, you know? <laughs> and whether that be the same trick if you do it with coins or not, whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's not. That's not. It's not the same. And it's money is inherently interesting for people. And, yeah. Um, I don't want to do things with sponge balls. I don't want to do things with uh, toilet paper or things that you would find in a bathroom. I don't want somebody to think of the bathroom when they see my magic show. Yeah. I don't want people to think it's childish um, that's a big thing for me is the way that people view magic is um, magic is uh, unlike other arts in that right if you hear a bad guitar player you don't say music is bad yeah but if people see a bad magician they think magic is bad mm -hmm. if people see a, a bad magician they think it's childish and they think it's something that they're not interested in that hurts and I don't like that um, yeah but then you know in every art you need the good and the bad you can't everything is relative uh, uh, relativity is certainly alive in this right if you don't if everybody was at the same level doing top-notch things then there would be nothing to compare that to mm -hmm. um, but that's where magic is different right they see that bad and then that can sway them too and then they just assume that's magic yeah. But that music, nothing else is like that. But you need bad music. You need bad guitar television. Right? You need bad television to know what's good television. Mm -hmm. Everything's relative. That's the only way that we can judge anything is relative to something else. Yeah. So, but magic is weird in that respect because people judge it unfairly. And it can be so beautiful. And mm -hmm. it can be so ugly. <laughs> yes so okay. ugly. this you're reminding me of just the nature of the conversation the last time maybe not the last time the time before last that i went to the magic castle i saw someone in the museum who i think i've already said this on the podcast but i don't care um i saw somebody in the museum who was doing um what he thought was magic <laughs> and he was doing perfectly sufficient sleight of hand but there was no magic it was all very fast the audience had no time to keep up no one could understand what he was saying he was just beating people over the head with sleight of hand basically and not even like in a good way because you can do that that can be way. a good way it can be a good way like, you know who's master of it but you know in the best possible way is steve valentine yeah, that dude does so much magic in twenty minutes that I don't know that you can remember anything he did. Yeah, but boy, do you walk away liking him. Yeah, because he's good. Yes, right. But most guys that try to do that are not good. No, they're not. You're not necessarily Steve Valentine. No, you <laughs> must slow down. No. Um, so I I saw this guy and it just lit up all the negative energy in my body oh. watching, and I was just oh. like physically cringing and it was and i it also hurt because i was the one that was like hey let's come watch this show you guys right, right, right. <laughs> so anyway um i was with two of my magician friends and after that i was just i had all of this energy because i was like i gotta get out of here i gotta get away from this i gotta go drink <laughs> give me a double lagavulin and i need it uh so we went we went down into the classroom you know, we got as far away from the museum as possible right. and went down into the classroom. Nobody was in there. And so the three of us went and sat down and, and my friend Randy 
uh, had just come back from Pebble Palooza where Steve Forty was. Oh, okay. And so he was showing us some of the stuff that Steve had been doing. Yeah. And uh, some people stuck their head in and they're like, are you guys doing magic? And we were like, uh, no, but we'll do a trick for you, I guess. So they were like, okay. And so this woman who stuck her head in, I thought it was just going to be this woman, she brings in a group of like five people, four or five people come in and sit down. And Randy is an amazing practitioner. He's incredibly skilled, hates performing, is not good at it. So he's like, will you do this? I was like, okay, I'll do something. And I, I sat down and I started doing a trick for these people. And I, my body is physically rebelling still against this guy in the yeah. museum. So, and I'm normally like an upbeat, energetic performer. It was, I physically could not help being very <laughs> slow and very snarky right. and very nonchalant. And, you know, my body language was, you know, very reserved and everything was slow and, you know, kind of, I wasn't mean to them because I know how to perform for people, but I, it was, it was like very tongue in cheek, but it was the first time. And then, you know, another person stuck their head in and saw what was going on. Then 40 people came into the room. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, I'm already in this mode of performing and I'm like, well, fuck, now all these people right, are here. What am I going to do? I have to, yeah, but I committed to that role because it would be weird for these people. Sure. So then I do a show and, and it, it fucking killed. It was amazing. It was great. It's the best reaction I ever had. And that speaks to what you said about people coming to the magic castle and yeah. being they primed for magic. Because I have never had that experience yeah. where my energy didn't match the energy of the crowd. Yeah, my energy is perfectly correlated to the but reaction. But you pull it off because you're a good magician, so they came ready to see magic, and you delivered a good, some good tricks. Yes, and that's sometimes enough there. Yes, that's true. Yeah. But it 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 really freaked me out, and it really because I'd never understood the castle like I understood it at that moment. Yeah. Exactly what you're saying. They are really primed yeah. for it. It's a natural audience, yeah. for sure. Um, also, I didn't mean to disparage Steve Valentine at all, because that dude is one of no, my he's... favorites. Like, I love it, but he does so much magic. Like, he's so energetic, and he does so much magic so quickly. Oh, it's yeah. the opposite of my style. It, yeah. And I, But I love it Yeah, uh, when he does it. Yeah, yeah. I love it. No, yeah, I don't, I don't think I anybody would think. Yeah. Clear, uh, <laughs> I'm, a, we, I'm a fan. We both Steve are fans of yeah. Steve Valentine. I yeah, don't think awesome. that was unclear. But, yeah. Um, but, yes, I get that. And boy, yeah, there's a lot of bad magic. I, I did a gig the other night um, that I think could have uh, could have made people quit magic. Really? Um, and the gig itself was fine. Uh, it was a very nice place, a Ritz Carlton uh, on the water, and uh, for uh, an art gallery that books three or four of these type of things a year and mm -hmm. I, I really want to get in with this thing and it's yeah. the first one they pay a ridiculous fee which they offered like this is this is what the we're magician prepared. that worked for them before charged a lot mm -hmm. and so you know it was nice it's a very nice you know it's a good gig yeah. and it was uh i don't do walk around uh or very very rarely do i do walk around so i either do one stand-up show mm -hmm. Uh, depending on the size of the group, or I do a thing where I just set up a table in a corner somewhere, put three or four chairs in front of that table, and then I just work for small groups all night. They come to me. Yeah. I don't want to walk around to you. I don't want to disturb you. Be a professional. You have no prestige. Yeah. Right. It's the worst when you have, when I do walk around shows. People treat you the worst. 
because you're the worst. You're, I mean, you're, you're interrupting their conversation. You're walk, coming up at the wrong time. Or, yeah. It's just, but they never give you the respect and it's always so much more work. Mm-hmm. But if I set up this table, I find, you know, once I get through the first group, they're going to go tell people and then people keep coming up to me and asking for it. And once you come up and ask for it, it's great. Yeah. Right, so I set it up and also now I can do more stuff like I do at the bar. I got a table, I got, you know, I can do material I know is going to be strong for him. Yeah. And I got to this show and I'm setting it up and like every show, it's going to start a half hour to an hour later mm-hmm. than what we thought, right? They're doing speeches and stuff in there and I'm supposed to be going by 8.30. I'm there setting up at 8 and the guy comes out and tells me it's going to be closer to 9. And so I'm getting my table ready and this guy pulls out a deck of cards and he starts going to work. Like it's just a, an amateur. He's just a dude at the party. He's and just doing magic at the party when not hired. He's just a dude at the party. Just fucking and up. Literally your standing in front of my table that I'm setting up. And he pulls out a Svengali deck and it's or a stripper deck rather. And it's not even a, like a bicycle stripper deck. Like it's a TV magic card stripper deck. And it's 30 years old. Like he's been carrying the same deck for years. And he's just doing horrible, <laughs> horrible uh, stripper deck magic. Like having them, like here, put your fingers on the side and pull up, pull up. And like having them strip the card out of the deck type of thing, right? And then the best thing he did was a slop shuffle triumph. But, you know, I'm about to go to work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just watching this guy and. He sees me, you know, and he does these effects for these people. And he uh, he comes over and he goes, "You're the magician from the Magic Castle." And I said, "Yeah." And he says, uh, oh, "I've never been there. I, I don't like to go to LA very often. I'm in San Diego, blah blah." And you know, I know I got like an hour before I could go and they just told me this is going to be late and now this dude just talking my ear off right and I'm, I don't know who he is yeah he may be the CEO sure. of this corporation that yeah. I want to do multiple shows for so I can't be like stop doing that or yeah, you know, yeah. this is the real world if this were the magic castle and somebody pulls out a deck of cards in my bar I say stop <laughs> stop doing that stop yeah. doing magic in my bar this is not your room All right, this is my room mm-hmm. get out and it's awesome. I, I can do that there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the castle will support me on that because it's rude. It's super course, rude. Yeah. And it happens. Mm-hmm. And I've had big name magicians come in and start doing shows in the middle of my show. I won't name names. No, but I've of had course. it. It's yeah. ridiculous. And you, they should be embarrassed to walk into another guy's room while he's doing a show and start doing a show in the corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway. um, but this guy clearly doesn't know. Yeah. So whatever. That's he's harmless, years. except that he's extremely harmful. He's extremely harmful, and he's very—he's—he's he's just an annoying. He's one of those guys, you yeah. Know? And but I'm nice, and then he's nice, and we talk for a while, mm-hmm. and finally, it's you know, it's time for me to get going. And I do a couple sets, and they're good, and then I'm in my third set. And I have a card selected, and I put it back in the deck. And he walks up to the table, and he says, Wait, have you seen this? And in his hand is a cup, a glass. And over it is a piece of dental dam. And on that dental dam is a dime and a penny. 
and he sets it on the table and I've had the card selected it's in the deck I'm in the middle of a routine and he's trying to show the people at my table this trick <laughs> again for all I know this dude's the CEO yeah I don't think he was no <laughs> but I don't but you're know being his safe. relation to this he's at this event yeah he's got the name tag on they all have on yeah and I don't know who he is yeah. to them. And I just said, and I almost lost it for a second. <laughs> I looked at him and I just said, really? And then he's like, yeah, just real quick, just real quick. And he doesn't even have a rubber band over it. It's just loose dental tape <laughs> on a cuff. Like, there's no, it's not even taut. There's no rubber band or anything. And this, this dude's carrying this around in his pocket with him to this event. He came here for this. He came to do it. And the woman at the table goes, I'd rather see him. One of these ladies. And they're all like, yeah, I got, uh, it's not a huge group. I have nine, ten people around the table. That's a, a respectable to, crowd. That's a respectable crowd. Yeah. I got the row of chairs. I got five chairs in front and a row behind them. Yeah. Uh, so maybe 10 to 12 people. And they all just like, yeah, I want to see this guy. And I just, uh, I mean, it's clearly this has already happened. And again, you can't, I can't just let that go. It's it either, and I realized the easy approach is just to let him do it. And so I said, I just put the deck down and I said, go ahead. And I took a step back and I, and he did the worst version of this thing that you've ever seen. He said, name a copper or silver, copper or silver. And the lady says, copper, and he just pushes it through real quick and barely even shows it, then shakes it and walks away, like didn't even wait for the response, <laughs> didn't wait for anything, just pushed that coin through, shook it, and ha ha, and walked away, and it was all for him. He didn't give a fuck about what the audience thought of the trick. He just wanted to do it. Oh my God. And... <laughs> And I realized that because he didn't wait for the reaction. Of course, no. And he didn't care about the reaction. He no. didn't look at them. He didn't, you know, like, did you like that? None of that. It was like, just push it in and shake it and laugh to himself and walked away. Like, he had just killed it. Killed it. And he knew he did. Like, I could see his face. This guy just came and killed it. Well, so then what happened? I picked up the deck of cards and I said, do you remember your card? And she said, yeah. And I, said, <laughs> and I went right back into it. And that's, that's, that's what the real world is. And that's yeah. what it's like dealing with other magicians at times. And, you know, like I said, uh, had that dude been the only one there and I wasn't there, he still would have brought that pocket full of magic. Yeah. And this is stuff that he told me personally he's been doing for 20 years. Like this is, this has been my favorite trip for 20 years. And I just come up with my own things like. He's like, I invent my own tricks. And he shows me like, the stripper deck and he's, he slides the card out through his hat like it ticks off his ball cap or his hat. And then he uses the, the hat to slide the card out of the deck as he's like, he covers the whole deck with the hat, slides the card out, <laughs> sets the hat down. Like people would forget that the hat went yeah, on top was of on the top entire of deck, right? Or it would have been easier to control the card to the top and just take the top card off. But he's strips it through the hat and it's very obvious he's pitching the sides and then stripping it out and setting the hat down and he's like I invent my own tricks and that's that's the dimension and you know had I not been there that guy would have still done magic mm -hmm. he still would have done all that thing yeah and maybe some of those people would have walked away saying 
uh, magic is terrible and it's for children and it's for it's not good yeah yeah and not that they saw me and now they love magic but I, it was a six as they far as i know it was successful yeah. right they saw uh they all seemed happy the company was happy and um, but that's it. That's magic is, uh, you know, I couldn't imagine, uh, showing up to a concert with a guitar, right. And, and interrupting a song about, wait, have you heard this lick? <laughs> I do that too. Free bird. Right. I couldn't imagine. No, I couldn't imagine doing that. Nobody could imagine that because no musician would do that. But, you know... So Why is that? What do you think that is? What do, what do you think... One, I don't know. Magicians think it's all a brotherhood. Like, we're all in it together. That type of thing. Like, he won't mind if I do this because I'm a magician too. Like, yeah. He doesn't mind if I do this during his show. Yeah. Uh, there's that maybe. And then, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know why magic's like that. But it is. You know, I can imagine showing up to a comedy club and telling jokes in the audience. Like sitting at a table trying to make the crowd laugh. Yeah. But magicians will do that all day long. I, I see that all the time at the castle too. Just guys back there trying to, in the lines, doing stuff. You know, that's another thing too is um, you have to make it important. And when you're walking around, you know, doing, I see this uh, pet peeve for me as guys who do shows, not if they do it in my room, if they come into the bar and try to take one of those corner tables and do a show, like I said, I've had, well, you're just a dick. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's pretty bad. Yeah. Like, to do that in somebody else's show. Uh, but oftentimes I'll get guys doing shows in the hallway outside. Like they'll just walk up and stop the crowd and start doing stuff right outside my door. Well, that gets loud and super obnoxious for me too. That tends to be a pet peeve for me. Yeah. But not only because you're disturbing my show and you're loud, but because you're making your magic less. You're walking up to somebody with a deck of cards in your hand that didn't ask you to. You're not being paid to do it. I mm -hmm. mean, that's why a walk around gig sucks. I got to walk up to you and force magic on you. Yeah. Doing magic uh, to people. You do magic to people. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That's it. Um, Versus when I'm at the table, I do magic for people because they came to see me. They want to see me. Yeah. I don't say, hey, come over here and see magic. Mm -hmm. They come to me and they say, are you the magician? Mm -hmm. And I say, please sit down. And now we start. Yeah. But in the real world, outside of a paid gig, um, I don't do magic. Like, I don't. You'd have to ask me. This is something I've learned from... I think that's really good advice Delgadio gave me once. Uh, Eric Mead talks about that in his book. I have to be asked. Uh, Derek took that to a new level for me, and that's something I've done now for years, is years. If I'm at a party or I'm at someone's house and they say, can you do magic? I always say no, and I make them ask three times, two or three times. Mm -hmm. And when it's time to do it, then I make them reorganize the furniture or okay I'll do it but can you move that couch over there and move that chair over yeah, there they really gotta want get it. it yeah they have to want it mm -hmm. and not only that it's not gonna be trivial yeah 
it's an event. I'm going to do something for you. Yeah. And you're going to be ready for it. And you're going to be paying attention and you're going to be quiet. And I don't mean that in any way, but I mean, it's no, not, no, no. It's yeah, like sure. Event, like, hey, you want to see something? And I see guys at the castle all the time. They just walk around with cards in their hands, just looking. And everybody sees them. And so it's the castle. They came for a natural, they, it's a natural audience. They came for yeah. magic. So you'll get a lot of shows that way. Yeah. But they'll never take you seriously. And you hurt magic when you do it. Like it's like you're forcing it on them. And we all did that as kids. We all did that when we were starting out. I mean, you need an audience. You yeah. need people to perform for. Mm -hmm. But there's better ways to get it. Yeah. Right? It's at some point you should realize. Uh, I lost my train of thought because I nudged the table and I knew it was going to shake. Well, they have like if you have even at the castle, it's a natural audience. They're coming for magic. Yeah. And you sit down in the corner and you order a drink and you're sitting at the, they're going to sit up and you drink and now you pull out your cards and you start doing something for yourself. Because all of these people came for magic, it won't be five minutes before somebody asks you to do something. Yeah. And then you can be, then fine. They asked you, they came to you. You could say, yeah, really? I don't know. I'm you really should go see the guy. Sit by myself. You should see this guy. No, please, can't you do something? And then you say, yeah, okay, well, look, I'll tell you what, get your group and let's go downstairs. And get those chairs around this table here and yeah. sit down, I'll do something for you. And now it's a big deal when you mm -hmm. did something. And now you can do a show and they're paying attention and they care about it. But if you just force it, it's, it weakens everything we're trying to do. And that's, it, that by the way, isn't just because it's, the castle is easy because it's a natural audience. But I used to do that too when I first moved here, um, which was more advice from Jason. Uh, England uh, I didn't really know anybody Derek was the only guy Jason lived up north and I knew Derek and he was busy he was in school he was starting that as acting school and so the advice was you know you just find a pool hall and uh, order yourself a, a coke or a beer and um, you, you know play some pool maybe play with somebody you sit at the bar and pull out a deck of cards and just do it for yourself Shuffle cards and promise you somebody's going to come up and ask you and then tell them no. No, I'm just playing around. You don't want to see anything until they ask you again. And now they do want to see some. Now they're invested in it. And that's how I start meeting people. And, you know, I was got through some lonely times that way. Yeah. Hanging out and getting guys to play pool with. Yeah. Um, but to walk up to them, is just seems inconceivable to me now and tried to, you know, there's only one person I ever say, hey, can I show you something? Is that your wife? Yeah. yeah. And she hates it. <laughs> she won't watch it. I can't get her to pay attention to it. And if I do, and it's not that she hates it. She doesn't hate magic. She likes sure. magic. She's just, like, I get that all the time at the bar. Girls like, oh, your wife's so lucky. Or I bet, yeah, oh, does you just show this to your wife all the time? She's lucky. I would love that. I'm like, no, you wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, God, I know. Right. You don't know how in her face this is. Like, I, yeah. she's not into magic, but she deals. She hears about it constantly. That's what I'm into. Yeah, you know. And I have two sons, and I'm. You know, I'm gonna get them. Like, she knows <laughs> she's got a wife. This. Yeah. For her, it's so hard to get her to pay attention to anything. So it'd be like, you know, all I'm working on is a move, or I came up with this new thing. I'm gonna 
uh, I think this is an invisible coin switch. Hey, can, can I show you this? And so I got to do this quick trick so I could get through this thing. And then by the time I get to that, she's never paying. She's like looking down, she's looking at her computer. She's not even watching the trick anymore. Like, well, you can't see the move because yeah. you know, this morning I was doing, I came up with this idea for a trick and I'm like, can I show you this? And she's like, yes. And I can see she's kind of hurrying. We have two kids and she's a great mom. <laughs> I mean, I see it. I see the, and I, and I'm like, but you have to watch. And she's like, I'm watching. I'm like, you have to pay attention though. You have to watch. And so then I go through the whole thing and it's like, I'm doing magic for someone who's angry. Like I can, I can feel it. Yeah. And so then at the end she says like, uh, that coin felt different and I, uh, you have to be careful with that. And I, or something and also because she never closed like i put the coin in her hand she did like half closed her hand just got like out of anger almost. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not consciously but i can see it i'm just like she's so done with this she doesn't care but she's the only person i ever say hey can i show you something right <laughs> or i mean i guess friend magician friends you yeah yeah do that for like let me show you i'm working on something i show yeah. you this but Never to a layman. I, I can't imagine walking up with a deck of cards in hand or doing that. Or I just got jury duty the other day, which is the pits, of course. But my wife's like, what do you care? So you get called in, you just sit there and do card tricks for yourself for a while. It's like, I can't pull out cards in jury service. Do you know that I'd have to show those people card tricks all day long? I'm not doing it. I have to talk to those people. <laughs> I'm not doing that. I can't even bring cards with me to this event. I can't. Yeah. No, I, 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 this, this thing I did this weekend was the same kind of literally 13 hours a day. I'm in a room with all these people. I was like, I can't fool around with my cards. Yeah. <laughs> you can't. No. Because then it will never stop. Like you can't mm-hmm. rest. And now you are, now you're on too. Yeah. Now your character has to be there the whole time. Yeah, uh, you, you can't. That guy's high energy. Can you maintain that for thirteen hours? I, exactly. I can't maintain that guy through jury duty. No, God. <laughs> and it ruins the whole point of. What if thing. I get on the jury? <laughs> I can't be that guy every day, <laughs> like all day for you. I can't be the oh, guy man. doing magic in the room. Uh, <laughs> oh my God! So I think that you need to. It is hard. That's a real catch twenty-two for magicians because you need an audience. You have to be able to to work. You have to work it out, yeah. But you need to design the situations so that they ask you. I think that's what I was, what I forgot when I was earlier is is that you have to, at some point you have to hit the moment where you go, oh, I'm in control. I don't have to go and beg people to watch my magic. Right. And then if it's good, they'll ask you. Mm -hmm. People know, you know. Yeah. When I, friends outside of magic, they know, they don't always ask, sometimes they'll ask. But if I want them to ask, because there's something I'm working on, and there is something I'd like to try, I don't want to offer it. So instead you steer the conversation towards the thing. Oh no, psychics aren't real, blah, blah, blah. I've known personally, I've known, you know, in fact, I, I do a thing where I show this, a psychic ability, blah, blah, blah. And then they go, what? What do you mean? Show us. Well, yeah. no, you don't want to see that. Do it. Oh, good. Cause I've had this shit set up for an hour and a half. <laughs> like that coin has been blown or whatever it is for an hour and a half. So I'm glad you finally asked. Yeah. Um, 
but you do that. You can steer the conversation to it that you make them think it's their idea. Yeah. And then that's part of it, right? And a magician should always be manipulating and controlling that audience in ways they don't know, and that's part of it. Enjoy that part of it too. Yeah. That's the that's the neat part. That psychological. You get those people to do those things. Yeah. It's very rewarding. Yeah, it is. The magic can be very rewarding. Yeah. Two thirty-three. <laughs> oh, that's. The, I think uh, I can imagine you want to hear me longer than two minutes and thirty or two hours and thirty-three minutes. I can imagine that. So. I think we did good. Let me look at my. Let me look at my list. All right. Um, close up magician of the year. We mentioned that a couple times. How was that? Uh, oh, I'm always sure to mention that a couple times. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was a surprise, and that was a, that was one of the best surprises of my life. That was a surprise, though. I, I didn't ask. I want to ask about hecklers. Mm. How do you handle hecklers in the bar? Because I, I guess we talked about it tangentially with you know the audience and getting mm-hmm. there. Well, uh, it happens yeah. from time to time, as it would. Uh, my personality is such that I don't invite it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I feel like uh, I am in charge of the room. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I let everyone else know that. I am not in a, that's hard. I don't mean in a mean way. I just, I know what I'm doing yeah, yeah. <laughs> here. And I'm, I'm not challenging yeah. to you. Yeah. I'm not ever trying to challenge you. I would never put somebody down. Um, and so those are the things that I think invite the heckling. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, I, it's not, but it does happen because I deal with drunks. Exactly. I'm yeah. a bar magician. Yeah. So I get it based off of that. And what I realize, um, sometimes still, uh, I'm harsh, <laughs> too harsh. And yeah. I'll lose my audience on it. Yeah. Uh, that's where that Hicks and Carlin comes out. <laughs> yeah. And also just because it gets to the point sometimes where I don't, I just like how you've already done a bunch of shows and. I've done a bunch of shows and I just, uh, now I feel, and it's not a conscious thing like, oh, I feel disrespected, so screw you. Yeah. But I do. And so when that, when it happens, then it's like, sometimes it's just an emotional reaction takes over. Sure. And then I, I bite harder than I should have. Yeah. Um, but I tend to not, I, I, I try to be conscious about all those things, <laughs> yeah. but sometimes I'm just tired and sometimes I snap and, and, you know, I say something harsher than I should have said, or, uh, like the other, uh, the other night I had a girl select a card and it was for the, I just did the card in box and now I'm going on to that next thing and she selects the card and the girl right up front and then I look down and she's on her phone under the bar. Mm-hmm. She selected the card. And she's not even paying and attention to the And she's not watching. Trick. And she's up front. So the entire audience is seeing her. She's in the hot seat. Yeah. And she's not paying attention. She's on her phone texting. And I was way too hard. Oh, And man. I lost. I didn't realize how many people in, her, in that crowd were with her. Oh, wow. And I lost it. And I never came back. And at the end of that show, I think two dollars went in that jar, wow. and there were twenty people in that room. Yeah, and that's unusual. Um, but it just happened. I just, I, I just, it was, I 
probably done six or seven shows at this point, and it was so insulting that this to me, I just at the time, yeah, like it yeah, wasn't yeah. a conscious thing. I just lost it. Like, I'm yeah. like, how are you not even paying attention? That I just went off on it for a minute, and then I stopped, and I realized when I was like, shit, I got an audience in front of me. <laughs> but it, it was, and so I did too hard. But usually, that that I find rude. You're checking your phone. Yeah. But if it's a heckler and if somebody says a line, usually they're not trying to hurt. Yeah. Usually they're trying to be funny. Sure. And so you need to be funnier. Um, you need to have that line. If they're funny, you need to have that topper. You need to have um, that, or you at least need to acknowledge it. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Um, and let it go. And if it's usually, uh, if it's if it's a guy, um, I usually put him in his place subtly, but sure. nicely. And if it's a girl, a uh, drunk woman, she usually wants some attention. Mm -hmm. And so I give it to her. Yeah. Uh, instead of just being mean or that, I'll just give her her moment. Um, if it's a guy, uh, a really good trick that I've learned is you want that guy on your side. Yeah. So if he's the heckler because he's not into it or he thinks that his girlfriend likes you too much or that, you get that sometimes too. Sometimes guys will be dicks because yeah, he doesn't like, he thinks. He doesn't you know, like that she loves your I mother. said I had a vision about your girlfriend this morning and here's the cards and she, he's not liking that she's into it. Right? Yeah. So then I'll mention my wife or I'll mention my kids or I'll mention, you know, and if that doesn't do it, if he's not changing based off of that, he realizes I'm, this is my job. I'm not here trying to sleep with your girlfriend. That's not what this is. Yeah. Um, if if that mention doesn't do it, and then I'll bring him in. He's the inside guy with me. So I'll do something where you know it's him and me against the rest of the audience. Jim, you're on my side uh, against blah blah blah. You're going to try to figure out what her heart is, and I'll bring him in or whatever. On now, he's my buddy. Yeah. And you should only have to do that through one routine. And yeah. then now that guy's on your side. And they'll shut up. Or at least tend to. Yeah. Sometimes sure. with alcohol they don't. And um, I, I overcorrect far less than I used to overcorrect. And that took a while. That took a long time. And comedy was for that too, because I just had no patience with that the stand up though. I would you could just yeah, yeah. I, I will unload on you until you will never open your mouth to another comedian again. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But in magic, you can't do that. You'll lose them. Yeah. And in comedy, you lose them too, but then it was like, whatever. Ah, you all I'm not going to pay for this show. Even. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, but in magic, and especially a paid gig, yeah. I mean, then that's a whole other thing. Yeah. You know? Well, what do I do? I let the guy do his trick. Yeah. That's what I did. I let him do it. He came up and he put his thing. That's you know, that's not heckling, but it is. He ruined my oh, show. Oh yeah, totally. Like, yeah. It is. Um, but if it's being mean heckling, try to bring him in on it. If it's a woman, usually she just wants the attention, mm -hmm. and so I give it to her and I do the next thing about her, and then I move on, and hopefully she'll let it go. Yeah. Great. Your kid's middle name is Danger. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie Danger. Okay. Um, Charlie and Max are my sons, and Charlie is named after Charlie Miller, and Max is Maximilini. Right. So I got those. Maximus is his full name, though. That's Maximus cool. and Charles, Charlie Danger. <laughs> That's pretty rad. Yeah. Why did your so, wife allow that? 
good question. Uh, my wife uh, and I had a deal when she was pregnant that yeah. if it was a boy, she, <laughs> uh, if it was a boy, I could pick the middle name, and if it was a girl, she would pick the middle name. And she happened. I picked Charlie because of Charlie Miller, mm-hmm. and she just liked the name Charlie. Yeah, so it's a name she always liked, and uh, we were looking at Henry and Charles, and uh, and then Henry Charles. And, uh, that was Bukowski's name, and I love Bukowski. But I hate, hate him, and I didn't want like I love hate him, and I yeah. he's an asshole. I don't want a kid named like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like I don't want that. And I, I like Charlie, and she said, "Well, if it's a girl, we had a name picked out." She said, "If it's a boy, you can pick the middle name. If it's a girl, I'll pick the middle name." Because she wanted the name Eva, and I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. My grandma's name is my aunt's name, but whatever. I just it's just I didn't like it. Yeah. And so I was going to name him Charles Burton. Yeah. So it would be Charlie Miller and Vernon all in one. Yeah. And she hated it. <laughs> she hated the name Vernon. And I, and I said, Charles David. Yeah, that's his name. David Frederick Winfield Vernon. Mm-hmm. Or Char- Charles Dot. Yeah. No, hated it. So I said, so stick to the D. And, and we were at, at dinner and we were with... Um, Delgadio and Vanessa and Derek Hughes uh, was there and John Lovett and I said danger and she said okay <laughs> better than Vernon that's hilarious. and I said that's it you all heard it and that's his name and then that was his name and I wasn't sure up until she wrote it on the form <laughs> when they gave the birth certificate form in the hospital yeah. you know, to her I watched her and I wasn't Make sure official. what she was going to put there. Yeah. And she wrote Danger. And I, in my mind, I was like, holy shit, I can't believe she just wrote Danger down. This is middle name. It's That's amazing. Charlie Danger. That's awesome. Um, and then when with Max, it was, I didn't want to, you know, it's, I didn't want to try to beat that. I didn't want to, you know, everyone thought his name would be like Trouble or something. I'm like, I mean, it's not, Danger's not necessarily a negative thing. Yeah. I think it's going to be awesome when he's 21 and trying to meet girls. Uh, yeah. But so I didn't. I just gave his name's Maximus Alexander. But I did Maximus because it's a little weird and different. That's cool. I love it. I, love I like it. Maximus. I think yeah. it's cool. But and Maxa too was from uh, Max Malini, like I said. Although I'm friends with and love love uh, Max Maven. Mm-hmm. I think he is so great. And uh, when my wife was pregnant with Max, I you know, walked up to him and right before she had him and I said hey just so you know uh, we're going to name him Max but don't get a big head because it's not a it's not it's not it's not named after you <laughs> he's named after Max Malini but his middle name's going to be Phil Goldstein <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> Max Phil Goldstein <laughs> that's a great setup and a, a really juicy punchline. And he just looked at me and said, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it, man. All right. Covered everything in one way or another. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate you doing it. Yeah, this is awesome. My pleasure. Thank you, pal. Yeah, of course.